My guest this episode is a highly regarded seminal Irish DJ. From his mixtape roots to gigs up and down the country, he's a widely recognised name in Irish dance culture. At this stage, I've known him for over half my life, and in that time, he served as a great mentor and also a great friend. This is DJ Pressure. Music with you is something that's kind of shaped your life. It's almost kind of an addiction more so than a hobby because I've seen the lengths that you go to for certain things. But growing up, was there music in the house with your parents or did this come, like, you know, in your teenage years? Uh, there wasn't really music in my house. Um, I liked some of the ABBA and Neil Diamond, that type of stuff, you know, the greatest hit stuff they did play in the house. So, uh, but I suppose my first real musical memory was uh, I was... Eight or nine years old, I was down in Mosley and Butlins with my football team that I played for, and I was playing a tournament. We were staying for a week for a holiday. But I was walking by the uh, casino, and I just remember hearing uh, our friends Electric, Gary Newman, you know, and the mm-hmm. Tube Army. And I just stopped in my tracks as walking by, and I was just drawn back towards the hair. Just, I don't know, something happened to it, it was spiritual awakening or something like that. But uh, so. And then when we got back to Dublin, that was the first record I ever bought in Easton's. Uh, used to have a record shop in the basement in Easton's. It was a seven-inch single with a little sticker over the top saying, to, to prove you, it hadn't been played, it was a new, new copy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was my first memory. And then uh, I think Blondie or something, uh, Atomic was the next thing I bought. I sort of Pretty credible taste that he Oh, I, absolutely, absolutely. You know, what a tune to start with. Like, I mean, it's probably still in my top ten of all time, you know. And what age were you then? I would have been about nine, ten, something like that, yeah. Okay. So, so. And, like, a lot of people kind of have that dance music discovery in their late teens, but prior to that for you, say when people, when, you know, when you kind of start sneaking out and going out when you're, like, 16 and stuff like that, what was kind of, like, clubbing and socialising to you before going to, like, proper dance clubs or anything like okay, that? Okay, well, dance music hadn't really... Um, uh, evolved at that stage uh, what year are we talking here okay um for when i start that, 40 years ago from today so whatever it was 78 is that right okay yeah so yeah, early, so, like so, late 70s early 80s. yeah sort of the tail end of the punk area yeah and mm. at the late 70s basically um i used to pal around with a lot of guys a few people from fox rock and black rock and that and we were um we were posers, uh, I suppose. Uh, it was like, our whole uh, social life, which was, I think, a thing back in like the seventies and eighties, and that when people maybe didn't have as much money, and that the people flocked together into certain social groups, mods and rockers in the sixties mm-hmm. type, and then you'd uh, hippies and punks or whatever in the seventies. But we tend, we were all goths and uh, you know cure heads, uh, and you know sort of tail end punk stuff but looking back to Joy Division and bands like that you know like really credible stuff like you know uh, but uh, there was that as added bonus that like we were part of a group then you know who were all into music like nobody really goes out now when they're 15 or 16 buys an album and goes home and sits in the room and listens to it over and over again with their friends you know and this is like you know living the dream stuff you know <laughs> it's very disposable now you know but mm. uh, um, when I look back on my for early music career, I was always credible. I didn't realise at the time why I liked certain stuff. When I look back on it now, like I know I did know I knew what I liked and I knew um, why I liked it, you know. But uh, so the dance thing, sort of, so during my teenage years and stuff like that, I would have been a goth type of thing. Um, I also had a uh, mod slash ska period as well before, and then obviously new wave in the eighties, you know, Human League. Uh, Durand, well, not really Durand, they're sort of the commercial end of things, but uh, Soft Cell were pretty good as well, and then there was people like Seagulls and all that type of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really like that music. I'm actually 
listen to a lot of even now, you know, and it's, it was probably really the birth of dance music, I think. Electronic, mm. that early keyboard stuff. And, that, and a lot of that would have been big in the gay clubs at the time. Yeah, exactly. A lot, yeah, of, the music a lot of it comes from the gay. Actually, that's very true. Like, I mean, I remember like going to heaven in London when we were staying over there for one summer as, when we were in school. But, um, you know, like it was very, it was a bit, uh, a bit of a shock scene open gayness was that over here there was nobody was gay back then because you know <laughs> it was illegal you know that where nobody ever discussed it but uh, nobody was, in inverted yeah no, exactly and totally yeah you know um but uh we went to heaven and the music was amazing you know we obviously had your depeche modes and yeah yazoo's and vince clark and all that type of you know like heaven 17 and all but um so uh that's where music and then i started I got into some sort of stadium right i love simple minds i still do back mm-hmm. in then it's a really credible band but um then I sort of went square for about a year, I'd say, like, you know, where I was born. What's square to you now? Square, oh, square would be, uh, oh, uh, you know, like, uh, just, I don't know, it was like, what's, when somebody sort of maybe gets married these days, almost, they start having <laughs> kids, and it's, it stops going out, club, and it says, you know, no, they were the good old days, you know. I had that period for about six months, maybe a year, and uh, where, you know, my friends moved, went to different colleges, and mm. I started a job and things like that, where you couldn't go in looking like Robert Smith, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, um, and then I just happened to be on a holiday with a friend of mine in London, and the whole dancing had just started there, you know, with uh, Kiss FM and all this early, early stuff, uh, and then obviously Stone Rose at the North and uh, Happy Mondays, that's how it, So it, we're talking around the Summer of Love kind of thing, like 89, that kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I would have been maybe just a bit later, 90, about 90, 90 okay. early 91. Um, so I went over to stay with him and I was brought to a rave, um, the crazy club uh, in the Astoria on Tottenham Court Road at the bottom, you know, Oxford Street, where mm-hmm. it meets Tottenham Court Road, the Astoria, the venue there, but uh, it's called the Crazy Club anyway. And uh, it was just like... Did it like, live up to its name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know what to expect. I, I, like, I thought, uh, for me, before that, going out would have been to see the Smiths or something, uh, the SFX or something, or the Pogues at the SFX and things like that. Um, that would have been... But like, I didn't know what was going on. There, there was no electronic music. <laughs> it's just pure. But we, we went there anyway, and it was just like a life-changing, you know, <laughs> weekend. I was over there, so... I brought back home some cassettes they taped off the radio and things like that. I heard jo- early Joey Beltram stuff like My Sound and all that, you mm-hmm. know, and Frank the Wolf, you know, all that Joey Beltram copy and all. But, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I kept listening to it. And he used to send me over these cassettes and all this stuff, but it was just in my head morning, noon, and night, and all this music and the experience I'd had in the club. So uh, um, I just happened to be in town one day and I was walking down by Abbey Street and I cut through the old Abbey Mile there, you know. I was just walking by this little shop in the corner there and I heard a song and I just said, that sounds like a song that I heard when, you know, it was in London, you know what I mean? And I went there and I just said, is that song for sale? And uh, he said, oh yeah, it was Billy Murray, who, you know, uh, but he said, yeah, it is, yeah. And uh, it was, that song was, uh, so it was the first dance track I bought, would have, it was um, another uh, <laughs> exquisite choice, uh, was uh, Come Together, the Andy Weatherhall mix Primal Scream, you know. Which is still a classic. Fantastic you know, this, track. this is a beautiful day. You know, we are yeah. here. That that one, and I also bought. There was another uh, twelve inches there. I think it was called the Brain Crazy Mix or something of the same track as mm. well, like that. And uh, I bought the two of them, and I, I would have little money at the time, you know. But uh, I am um, because I just started in my job in the engineer's office and that. But. Uh, I went. To, I, I left myself with like one pound, one punt for the whole week just to have them like that. And I just came home and I just kept playing them over and over and over again, you know. And so I am a vinyl junkie. There's no doubt about it. Like I mean, I, don't know, I just posted on Facebook saying I 
paid 160 euros for a tune I've been looking for for the last few years. Uh, Which is funny really, because nowadays you go looking for tunes that may, you would have classed as rare years ago. Well, I would have anyway, and you'll see them going for like two and three euro and everything now because no, the demand for vinyl isn't there as such. Like there's white labels of unreleased things that I went looking for one and I think I got it shipped over from Italy for nine quid. Now you're yeah. talking a different level of rareness. Yeah, to yeah, me, yeah, obviously. yeah. I have most of the good records. Well, I tend to break most of the good records over the last 25 years. So obviously I have the originals on vinyl, but uh, there's certain things that I may have let slip or sold. Or, or sold. Exactly when I get, when I stop playing the break beats and stuff like that. It's almost like when I started playing the asylum and got into the house slash trance thing, uh, it was almost like a shame. It was just crazy, you know. It was like, you know, that's over, let it go. It's not mm-hmm. happening, you know, that type of way. And just concentrate on that. Don't take up space. And then, like, you know, after you find your feet in the hole and get a bit more confident, you just have to listen to something that you listened to years ago and you go, it fits. Yeah, it's like you know why you liked it back then, and then you go, "I made a mistake." You know, mm-hmm. I mean, now you know I would have sold stuff in job lots to get rid of. You know, like fifty breakbeat tunes or something you know, into uh, Outlaw. It's Outlaw Records that used to be in the Abbey Mall as well. They specialised in breakbeat stuff across from Abbey List. There, uh, he used to be around facing uh, on on Abbey Street. You know, just down past Wigwam there. You know, mm-hmm. but but, uh, yeah, but <coughs> that's where I actually used to sell. Them. The copies of Nikolai that I had for auction. Remember when mm. Nikolai came out with uh, for uh, have them hanging up on the wall saying offers only. You know, like, <laughs> I had I bought ten of them. You know, but uh, like Jesus must have made about seven hundred punts on the back. Before of the we get to yeah, your whole addiction and stuff like that, yeah. you're now at the stage where you've just bought your two first records in what would be a long lasting relationship with Billy and Abbey Discs. Yes, first right. few yeah, yeah, you ever put yeah, in over the yeah, counter. Okay, so how did that snowball into like? We'll, we'll touch on becoming a DJ and the whole yeah well, that was never the, never the aim anyway yeah, it was, it was never the intention yeah, yeah. this was just a yeah, personal yeah, yeah. taste and yeah, you know yeah. just records excitement. you wanted to have it on it was just an excitement you know? it was like a drug almost so day. which came first then did you start to buy more records or was it did that uh, run concurrently in time with say like the dance explosion and of electronic music in Dublin you know what how did well, that it, kind it of it hadn't happened over here really uh, you know we're always a bit behind like mm. the UK and stuff um, like we sort of bypassed like nearly the hardcore area, you know, like of breakbeats and stuff like that that London had, and it still does. But uh, so basically, um, we get this was the beginning of what we call the acid. It was the acid house. It was like a, a bleeps and blops. It was a, a big mixed bag of stuff. You could have psychotropic hypnosis, which is pure acidy bleeps and blops. Beside, you know, like FBI project, everybody all over the world. Mm-hmm. There's stuff from Italy on flying records or media, you know, like uh, uh, and then you could have tunes like you know, I don't know. Uh, total confusion in the mix as well you know it's just those tunes that you, you just but they all just seem to fit like the mixing of them by the DJs not that anybody knows was probably really ropey I wouldn't have known at the time mm. you know it was like wasn't an issue you just heard the songs that you loved you know so uh, that was just all come to so there was a big mixed bag of music you know it was pure like a scene a united scene if you like you know which is obviously split into different you know uh, little pigeonholes of people like their thing and their thing and so whatever but uh, so yeah, um, I, I was, never wanted to be a DJ. It was just the tunes, and uh, I went in the following week into the shop when I got my wages. And I remember buying a tune called Cyclone, a place called Bliss. It was on Network Recordings, the first ever tune on Network Recordings. I heard it in the story, and this is I don't know whether you know it's quite rare. I believe it's actually yeah, uh, I'm not mistaken. I read somewhere it's uh, Paul Van Dyke's favorite tune of all time. Wow, okay. bizarre, yeah, bizarre, yeah. I never thought, but uh, 
Um, or was it John Digweed? Maybe it was Paul Van Dyke. What was it that drew you back to the shop? Did, was there just like a hunger there that you wanted yeah. to discover more music? I want, I want to read you about everything. You know, here's what I want, I want, I want. You know, because obviously, like the, the media wouldn't have been too. You wouldn't have been reading about tunes in magazines. Oh no, 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 no. There was nothing. I, I didn't know at the time. But there was like the DFC. Dublin Funk Collective underground uh, fanzine more like okay. a photocopy page. You know, mm. I didn't even know about it at the time. And then Mark Kavner had the uh, remix was the name of a fanzine here, and they were sort of like the different. They were, would have been ahead of me. I didn't mm-hmm. even know they existed until obviously I got a bit more into the scene. You know, but um, so it was so, a case of rocking into Billy and saying, right, I bought these last week. What have you got? Yeah, from yeah, this you week? know, and he said, I'll try this, and and then I remember there was a tune I'd heard in this story. It was the one tune that just stuck in my head, and just for, for the rest of my life, and just be, that was the the tune. I just never didn't like it before, and it was just uh, uh, Lenny the Ice, We Are E, We Are okay. dot, dot It's just like a, a cowboy breakbeat track. It's just a, a slow breakbeat. Just spin back gunshots and, uh, and then just a chant going we are but it's just like I said I've never heard me it was just like being in the jungle man. You know, <laughs> I've never heard anything like this before in my life and, but I remember uh, trying to explain it to Billy and he said oh I think I got that record in that you were asking me about and I put, oh, that's like the that. famous line to be I'll have a few next Tuesday yeah yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how he only developed that later on <laughs> you know as he grew as well uh, as a shop but um, yeah that was the tune and, and what was it he had it in stock and everything yeah see Billy would, wouldn't really know what his tunes were and he'd, the distributor in the UK would probably just send him over a box on spec mm. see how you go with them you know and he was selling them you know what I mean like, and, and was uh, Abby this back then was it Primarily just a general record shop that had a dance section. No, um, they got a lot of work off what we'd call jobs worth, or you know, like you know, discos, DJs, you know, mm. mobile discos or tamangos or you know, mm. these uh, you know, like playing all these or these, you know, these um, the what they call those mega mixes, you know, yeah. they used to, they, uh, I can't remember the name, of it, but all this that type of DJ, you know, who'd be on the mic going, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, the bars are closing type of thing, you know, but. Uh, um, so you got that, a lot of work off them so there was a dance sort of connection coming in I think okay. with that and then it, it was starting to come up in Dublin then as well like at this time like uh, I hadn't even never even been to sides you know like mm-hmm. it was primary I had been there when, in 88 when I was a goth or something like and they were playing sort of the Smith or whatever type of thing mm-hmm. and you get drunk and just fall around the place looking cool <laughs> but uh and then, but, but it turned into a gay club after that. And once again, the gay scene brought in like the you know electronic sound from America or whatever you know, like from the gay clubs in in America, you know. So, uh, yeah, and uh, that's so it's basically that combined with like you know meeting a couple of girls one night in town and we're talking to them in uh, we were in uh, uh, Judoy Beans not not Judoy Beans the place on uh, Nassau Street there, uh, it's uh, the Porterhouse now. Mm-hmm. These be uh, like a, a disco upstairs there. We, I can't remember the name <laughs> we went up there to, but they played like electronic music there you know okay. I think it was Tommy Stewart might have been so would that have been your first electronic clubbing experience in Dublin uh, size yes absolutely absolutely but well, that was like a, like a you know starter you know because it uh, closed really early on, but we met me and my friend met two girls I wanted to be just chatting to them they said have you been out to sides you know we said, oh no. so hang on a second because yeah. my understanding is where sides is where the mercantile is now you, you were talking, yeah, that's correct yes you're talking about a place where the porterhouse yeah you know at the bottom of graph yeah, I know like, that, but, but would that place have been your first electronic experience? Club? Yes, we went in downstairs as a pub, but the, if you if you bought a pint or something, you got free into upstairs. <laughs> yeah, okay. But we we went up afterwards, um, and uh, I was surprised. Like I was hearing some songs, that I said that sounds like something I might have heard in England. Some of the Italian vocally piano house mm-hmm. stuff, but still had that you know electronic feel to it. But um, 
And then we, I said, we met two girls. They said, did you come down? Have you tried sides? And we went down with them and because uh, that was open later. Mm. And walked in, it was like, this is like a little corner of the Astoria, just right in Dublin, you know, really underground. They had all, you know, nets hanging out. It was very, it's a, a old school sounding there with the camouflage things hanging from the wall. And the music was just like, you couldn't see the DJ. There was nobody talking on a mic or anything. It was just like electronic music, you know. And that was the beginning for me. I think it would have been Liam Dollard and Mick Fitz and people like that were playing. Now, it was a gay club, but the, I think the, the straight population and got wind of it and they start coming in and it started going like the so the, the gay crowd stayed downstairs because there's two rooms upstairs and downstairs and they were the uh they had television that was more of a bar atmosphere and then upstairs was like the f- smallest dance floor in the world actually so i <laughs> had like that you know <laughs> like you had some experiences there with gary clail you know on the U sound system you know human nature track mm-hmm. that went to number one tune uh, i really like but uh he was playing down there and we went we said we go to see him because i loved that tune but I remember going down and it's a tiny place anyway where he, he's at the, his name says the sound system so they carry their own speakers with them you know yeah. just did like Notting Hill car yeah, you know, nice on the floor battle of the sound yeah, system yeah big time yeah, so uh, when we arrived in it was like these two big joint speakers on the floor it was like a, a, there was room for about 10 people to, to dance <laughs> you know and we were all squashed like this and if it wasn't bad enough you know, so well, you were a regular attendee of uh, of sides. Early side, yeah. And would it have become like a weekly thing with you, or? Oh yes, 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 yes. And it would have been getting like raided by the police. This would have been like you know rages in Dublin because I remember standing in the queue outside and like you know people walking by going, "What's going on here?" You know, this is like you know these young people enjoying themselves. You know, <laughs> it's like you know called the bishop. You know. So, um, and what what was the hours of sides? It was this one of those kind of um, setups whereby they ran till all hours because they didn't serve alcohol at the bar. No, they did serve, serve alcohol, uh, a lot of wine and stuff like that. You know, okay. the, gay, the gay punters that go there and stuff. But uh, um, I'm obviously remember. I think they, they used to show Futurama or something exclusive or something they got it in from the states or something you know cassettes or vhs cassettes or something. probably would have been the simpsons i'd say back around then the early maybe 90s. it was the simpsons yeah but, but i knew there was some angle going on there with that, uh, yeah <laughs> Come but, uh, see the simpsons yeah i know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah uh, um yeah i think the hours would have been something like maybe 10 to 4 or something okay. like that yeah but uh but it felt like it was like mm. you know 12 o'clock in the morning. And would, the you have, would you have been there at 10 p.m.? Like Yeah, yeah, pretty getting... much, yeah, yeah. And so would everybody else, you know. There was a queue, you know what I mean? Mm. Like waiting for the door to open, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So and, that... like, beyond sides then, how did you kind of expand your club and adventures, so to speak, in Dublin? What came next? Or what well, I think the Olympic ballroom sort of was happening around that time. It wasn't uh, It wasn't the Olympic, uh, Mark Cavan and that, I think, was it went DJ Jerry or something like that? I think uh, that was his name. But, uh, I think there was a, a, a couple of nights ran there. Johnny Moy, I think, ran, ran a couple of nights there with David Holmes and people like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I think a man who owned, who owned the venue started running them themselves. And I think it was Mark came in then, you know, the whole, yeah. and the, that was their angle, you know. So I went there a few times and that, you know, and that was probably better inside because it was a big room, you know. It had more mm-hmm. of a sort of rave, feel, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think he was an ex-guard as well. So okay. he, so his old buddies wouldn't, you know, be annoying him. The Copperface Jacks. Yeah, 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 big yeah. time, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the way we call them. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that was that. And then basically, uh, I was collecting, I, had, I would have had maybe 100, 200 records at that stage. But I never wanted to be a DJ. I was quite shy in that time. You know, I just liked making tapes for myself, not mixing, just recording them, you know. Mm-hmm. Press the, was, on a single turntable, I'd imagine. Cause I, I don't, oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. On, yeah, on a, a hi-fi stereo, a yeah, stack yeah, yeah. system, something like that, you know. But um, just 
putting songs on that I liked, you know, mm-hmm. and then we could play them. Mixed types, yeah. But they weren't mixed. Yeah, they weren't course, mixed, you know. We, actually, in, in the you, truest sense, though. Yeah. Like but you sometimes, you actually had to play and put the speaker beside the speaker of the recorder and record, you know, okay. externally. You know, I was recording internally. Yeah. And I always remember making, you know, like songs on. It was like, shh. And next thing you know, <laughs> I'd hear, you know, because I, I lived in my, uh, I lived in my, uh, my, old, my old family home, but uh, my mum had her own place and she had a key. And I always just remember recording up next thing you'd hear, Robert called them <laughs> the stairs and they come out on the tape and like, no, <laughs> day's work done. Yeah. So uh, that, that's how primitive it was. But uh, but uh, in the end, anyway, I ended up uh, buying two turntables um, and a mixer off uh, Sounds Around up in uh, Cable Street. Street there, Sorry there, about my first decks too. Yeah, yeah. Set but, uh, cams. Yeah, but uh, I was stung. <laughs> uh, I didn't know when to mixing. I just knew it was cross edges, So it'd be continuous music. There's no like beat mixing. But these were two Sony turntables with no pitch controls. They're basically two hi-fi separates okay. for that. But together, that's I didn't even know what mixing was. You know what and I mean? what inspired you to go down that? Was it just from seeing these DJs in the club and you thought it was the done thing? Or I was what? having no... To getting away from my mum calling Robert up and having two mm. different systems, you know, taping, okay. taping them in the air, if you like, you know. So, uh, so that was all, just so to make the tapes you, better. So you, you wanted know? them just to make tapes for your friends and for yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's stuff. it, you know. And the usual, you know, like, oh, you should be playing there. You have better songs. It's the same. Yeah. Every DJ probably gets started or, mm. or gets, you know, delusions of grandeur or that, they're, that they're God's gift, you know, what I mean? musically, but... Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what I got initially, you know, and I used to just fade things in and out at the end, you know, a string mm. at the end. Just so to, to, it'd be like continuous, but not mixed, you know, mm-hmm. the type of way. Like, there were people, like, I uh, know now, but I were actually trying to get the beat mixing thing going, mm. you know, like, and uh, they would have been more advanced than me. But, uh, yeah, that was the start of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that was your first set of decks. Yeah. And how long between having your first set of decks and, say becoming involved in the DJ scene uh, like I'm, I guess what I'm asking is how long between first acquiring the decks and first playing out in a club your first proper DJ gig okay right um, how did it come about okay when we first uh, so I just had these decks and that was it and then usually you know my friends like we were having a party after the club was up saying oh you should be playing blah blah, blah. so in the end something, somebody had a set of techniques I don't know where they got them from but they said he won't be around for a while. I think he might have been at his manager's service or something like that. Mm. And I got a set of techniques for nothing, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, um, How long uh, after this, like, w- that you bought the initial turn? Three time? months. Okay. Three months. Um, so, uh, yeah, gratefully accepted, you know? And uh, then I used to, um, I remember, I used to see, you know, did you ever, um, uh, Dave Moore, do you ever remember Dave Moore? He's uh, you probably wouldn't have known, but Dave Moore, sort of an early techno DJ in Ireland. Uh, uh, used to play in the Olympic as like a guest and that. Mm-hmm. Nice fellow. I started meeting him in the record shops and stuff like that, you know. But um, and uh, the original Banana Boys, you know, would have been Dave McDonald and the other lad's name escapes me. Oh, he's a really nice guy. He used to sort of, he lived out in Leicester, but he could mix. Okay. And I remember going out to his house, like, you know, just listen to music and So all. these were kind of record store relationships. That yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything came from Abbey Disc, you know, just mm. chatting to somebody, you know, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. As I said, I never wanted to be a DJ, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, but I just wanted to be able you to... You just love the music. Yeah, and then I just wanted to be mix, learn how to mix for myself, to mix it down. Like, my, my personality, well, I taught me getting up on the stage, is like, you know, that, you know... It's just beyond, like, I just die on the spot. My heart is like, I was so shy, you know. I know it's hard to believe now once people see how confident I am. But uh, so, anyway, um, yeah, so basically, uh, I was in Abbey this one day, Billy Scurry used to buy records then and all. And, uh, and he, he said to me, uh, he said, he's asked me now to do a 21st 
but he can't because he has something else on, right? And he said, would you be interested in going 21st, playing at 21st in uh, Donamede Sports and Leisure Centre, you know, Donamede, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get 50 quid and, uh, you know, basically it's a normal 21st and then like at 10 o'clock, you get all the granny bashers out and yeah. the lads put on all their... their, their, their uh, uh, they're tracks. What those old tracks is just the way they're big. They're so crap. Look the old shell suits, like yeah, but they're real old. There was one make American. They had like American. Feeler. No, no, way before that it was soft. Get the name of them. Awful looking thing. <laughs> I would never wore one. Thank you, but anyway, that was the angle they put on there. You know, like looked like uh, Damo and Ivor that time. That time, you know, like. But anyway, uh, and then the lads would all come out and we could play that type of electronic music. So uh, yeah, that was my first gig. Uh, and there was also a gig on the same night that I had to take it for in the mansion house. <coughs> it was uh, Cyclone's own Marcus O'Neill, yeah. Was mm-hmm. running, I don't like, didn't know anything, but uh, so I did uh, play it at the 24th, and it was great. I really enjoyed it and got paid, you know what I mean? So, and were, were you able to mix at this point? Or was um, it just... No, 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 no. And it would have been still Italian stuff and early breakbeat stuff like Badman and things like that, yeah. But, um, but it went well, and you know, it was grand. That was all, all good. But uh, so I got the taxi into uh, into Mansion House, and so I had, obviously I had my records with me in like the scabby, cheapest looking piece of shit of a fucking of a record box. You know, like those old fold out folders that yeah. you used to have, like for putting files in and offices. You know, the, the clip on. Of the, course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they made a paper or something. <laughs> you know, anyway, I had them in that, so I was in. I was walking into. And I, I went to put them into the cloakroom and this guy says, do you DJ, you know, guy behind the cloakroom? And he says, uh, yeah, sort of. Again. And he was going, oh, yeah, you must get me a tape and all that, Marcus and all this mm. type of thing. And uh, so that's where I first met him and I gave him, I got a tape to him. So the promoter was working in the cloakroom at the no, time? You no, know, checking out. Oh, like everything was going. Like, this was like back in the day when you opened the doors, the place was sold out. You know? yeah, yeah. People were dancing, like going, oh, wait to get in. Why do we wait to get in, you know? Mm. With, with their backpacks on and the baseball hack. Mm. But, um, so yeah, he just happened to be in there when I was putting it in. So uh, I got a, a cassette I'd made, no mixing on it. It would have been just like faded. In yeah, just a sample music. of the music you were into. Yeah, no, it was actually one of the tapes I'd made for me and my friends to mm. listen to, you know. And I got it to him, but uh, and I just remember uh, about two weeks later, late night, I got a phone call just on the Yeoldy House landline phone. Yeah. No more. Robert, there's yeah, a fellow yeah, on the phone. Yeah. No, no, I was I was living here on my own. We weren't my grand at the time, but but uh, no, thank you on my own. But uh, anyway. Uh, had a house phone, I got a phone call. I picked it up and I just said, you know, 50,000 hardcore members, 60,000 songs, so crap. But I used to have it because it said hardcore members. Yeah. Breakbeat, early Breakbeat. I still have it actually, but uh, Manic, I mean, the name of the band. We made a few singles out of it. Your man had heard, Marcus, it was him, had heard the song and he thought it was brilliant. He said, we're going to play at my next uh, gig in the Mansion House, you know. So uh, that was like... Wow! Well, well, you know what yeah. I mean, like so. Uh, so you'd only done one gig at this session. That was a twenty-first yeah, yeah, yeah. on a meet, yeah. and instantly you're into like one of the most popular nights yeah, in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing with Fabio Groove Rider, um, Mickey Finn. You know, wow. uh, um, in just the venue. I loved the venue. No, I couldn't mix back then, but I had good tunes because if anyone went back and forward to to London, and uh, I used to go up sometimes and like go to you know Camden and Black Market and get the top of the range break early hardcore break stuff because like, when I was playing with Fabio and Groove Rider like obviously I was on first and that but they played I played probably if I played for an hour and a half I would have played maybe eight to ten tunes that they played as well Okay, at the time you know mm-hmm. I was, um, but like I know, even they weren't mixing them the really? same breakbeats at the end yeah, yeah that's how oh. primitive it was 
explain something to me. I'm kind of showing my young age here now in comparison. Look, you, but look like, at you. <laughs> like a lot of the famous uh, Dublin clubs, I'm kind of aware of where they were and whatever. The Mansion House is something that always seems peculiar to me because right now all I know is the Mansion House is the, restaurant. The, well, the home of like the mayor in Dublin or yeah, the yeah, or yeah. whatever. And there's a restaurant. That was the, the home of Rave back then. You know? And it's like the same building like as in on Dawson Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you remember that. It, like, yeah, you came in basically from Dawson Street and just like that. It seems bizarre now with the community mm. that... But you could rent it out, like, you know. And okay, so it was like a function room. Type yeah, you'd, you'd be, uh, you know, lovely sailing. Well, actually closed. There was other dates booked and all. I did about four gigs there. And was it like the residence of the mayor of Dublin at the time then? Oh, or? yeah. He's in the house at the side. It's like yeah. the ballroom sort of to, to the left, wow. you know, as you look at to the left. Hell there. of a contrast there. I know, yeah. Oh, big time. The stories that came out of that place, like, I mean, you know, Go on. Actually, two Unlimited were playing. There. I was playing with two Unlimited there as well. Mm. Cyclone Zone. We had the Prodigy up the road as well with SL Two as well in McGonagall's. You know, the later became uh, the System okay, Number yeah. Twenty Three. Just before they're up there, like me, uh, the Prodigy, SL Two, and all. This is like I still have the flyers and all. You know, mm. that would have been the first sort of Cyclone Zone as well outside of the Mansion House. We had them up there as well. We'd alternate in the uh, Mansion House as well. But the roof check falling in one night. Okay. And uh, it was obviously it was old, hadn't been, pre- mm. but it had to be closed for a year to get this all this, you know, mm. back to its original uh, finish and all this. So they sort of after that, then Rave was getting a bit of a you know bad name, yeah. rep, you know, headlines, so, yeah, so like I mean, it had the corporation and all the you know the, the legal uh, all the legal arms that were they just didn't want to know basically, you know what I mean? Like, just in line with that, like this dance explosion had obviously started then in Dublin, like its sides, you had the mansion house, the Olympic ballroom as well. How much of this do you think was populated by people who were in love with the party inside of it, the drug side of it, as opposed to being fans of the music? Because that's something I've often that's found. That's a good it. question. It's a good question, yeah. It's, a good question. it's something I've often, um, I've often uh, found that. Like, you know, when you see people who are into going to these dance music festivals, these dance gigs, are they in love with the music or are they in love with the lifestyle and the party and that comes with they're it? Into, they're in love with the movement, being part of the movement, a fresh new movement. In times of, you know, economic downturns and that type of thing, that's when you get your best music mm-hmm. and youth, you know, like youth movements that just, like the 60s and stuff like that when you had the Beatles and the Stones and all, you know that, like the, <coughs> the young people, it was all, that's when people have no money to do anything else mm-hmm. and they're angry. Yeah. They make better music. It's the punk thing as well, you know what I mean? But that's like, so that's where uh, the, the popularity of, of electronic music came from. And then obviously there was the other thing of the drugs and stuff like that, you know. But it was just, like you'd have people from, you know, the wealthiest parts of, of Dublin with the people from, you know, the poorest parts like that. And they'd just be there, like, they knew brothers and sisters. It was just all about, like, you know, mm. being part of it. I think it all, it was just a perfect cocktail, you know, mm. and to, to be part at the beginning of something that it was, like, uh, you know, something that was changing the world. We didn't realise how, how much, like, I mean, within two years, like, I mean, the top ten tunes in the in the British charts were, were all dance tunes, you know. And... To coincide with this explosion and obviously the use of illegal drugs and things that were fueling it a lot of the time, what was the reaction and attitudes of the law like? Pathetic. It's just like typical. It was just a. You might as well. Ireland wasn't governed by a political party. It was governed by the church or mm-hmm. you know the bishop. It was just like talk about like all the money and time and effort wasted trying to you know make people out to be criminals because they're enjoying themselves. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's like. While obviously at the same time there was children being industrially raped mm-hmm. by these bastards, you know, at the same time. So, um, and yet they were there because people were there enjoying themselves and they, they were losing control. That's mm-hmm. what it was. And this is where we're at. we've come today where 
being gay is not illegal anymore. Mm-hmm. You can get married. You know, you can be mm-hmm. yourself. You know, it's like, uh, you know, women have freedom of, of, their, of their own bodies at last. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and good riddance to a lot of them. You know, they've held this country back for too fucking long. You know what I mean? So uh, I think it, it, they died the day when the Eighth Amendment was passed. You mm-hmm. know? But basically, I was, it was like living in black and white time. time yeah. so, like, you walk down the street, because you're going to a rave, you were... You were a criminal. An outcast. An outcriminal. Like the stories I could tell you, like, you know, we had an orchard. Not just the asylum, and jump forward. But, like, I mean, I remember being in there doing a bit of work during the week with friend Paul's, the manager there. He was doing a bit of painting or something. Just call in, you know. And, uh, and but uh, we play a few tunes, like, just in the DJ box on the monitors and all this. And next thing, just banging on. This is two o'clock on the Tuesday afternoon or something, you know. And you could see it was the police and all this. We didn't answer the door, you know. And, uh, then later on, like it was a television in there. They had put a t- the police had bought the special va- Mariah type thing with a camera on the top of it. You know, mm. this was the first one in the country. It was parked outside the asylum with a camera focused on the front door, and it was on the RT News as the lead item at six o'clock. And what was the? And we were still inside in the fucking place. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, just because this is a club that's like you know. Not doing what they're told to do, you know, okay. because it was a, there was no alcohol sold. And they had like a theatre license, I believe, mm. which allows you to stay open as long as you, it's a members' club, private members' club. Basically, it was a legal way around to say "fuck you." You know what I mean? Mm. We're not going to bed when you want because you know. And we'll come back to the asylum in a minute, but yeah, you're yeah, saying that it was the lead report on the RT News. You're mm-hmm. saying that like this was when the club was on. This wasn't you playing tunes on a Tuesday afternoon. No, they? no, no. <laughs> okay. This was like you know the state's response. Once it like, had a bit of notoriety. Oh basically. yeah, big time. Yeah. Like, okay. So we're still at the Cyclone Zone stage. Yeah. You've done a number of gigs. Um, and House and yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, and like, was it mainly Dublin-based at this time or had you kind of... Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, like, I wasn't... I was, D, I was DJ Rob slash okay. E, right? I mean, mm. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for the shame, the shame, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, just, these are the days when it used to tune like Rosala, everybody's free and all, like, we're like cutting edge, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I thought it was amazing, you know, like, what a piece of shit. But, uh, um, and things like uh, Blockbusters, take, give me another E-Bob, you know, that thing, mm-hmm. like, give me another E-Bob, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, type of, I just like, I thought this was like, ha, you know, so cheesy, just like, you know, wearing the, you know, you know this, ha, we belong to this thing, you know, with these silly, childish, stupid songs, it's silly little thing. But it was part of the learning process, I suppose, you know, but, uh, would you have been considered as like a resident of the Cyclone Zone or did you just play every uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. gigs? No, I, I sort of became a resident there, you know, I sort of own it now. It was low, <laughs> yeah. Another part of my partner, Marcus. But uh, uh, yeah, it was basically, yeah, I was sort of entrusted with, yeah, I, would, I suppose it would technically would be a resident, but, uh, and like my, you know, ever developing musical opinion and, you know, knowledge, which was still very primitive at the time, you know. I just suggest things, and you know. And could you mix at this stage? Could you actually uh, beat match? Um, when did I would have start mixing? Yeah, I would have start um, about uh, about this would be about yeah yeah I could yeah 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 and then like I mean because the first day I discovered like the third ear in my head that gave, made me listen to the two things at the one mm. time you know it was that eureka moment you know from being looking. Uh, blind into a field to all of a sudden like have an x-ray vision even though I wasn't mixing right I knew what I was doing wrong so yeah. then it was down to practice you know mm-hmm. and after that with them artistic fair of how you present I had an idea of how I'd like to present music you know mm-hmm. some people are full on you know the noisier the better I'm more of like you know the best mix is the one you don't hear yeah, you know that's the way you have a start point and a finish point and you start you know everything in between you just try and like I always thought you know you don't hear music you see it mm-hmm. you know if you see it you see what you like the way you like to present it, you know, as God intended, as they say, type of thing. But uh, like, 
I just became like I didn't realize how good I became. Just sheer, sheer fear of failure. I practiced and practiced and practiced. You know, what I mean, mm. fear of failure, not fear. You know, not looking for success or to get somewhere. It was like so I didn't get bottled. <laughs> you know, I could get out. You know what I'm saying? It didn't clear the floor or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. so this was the DJ Robbie era. You know. Uh, what came then once the mansion house had closed um, were there cyclone zones in other venues after that or did it kind of die a death with the mansion house I don't know um, basically it was sort of uh, we done, we did other gigs as well but it, what, what happened then was um, uh, with that was I I was still playing breakbeat yeah as I stayed mm-hmm. no, there was no demand for breakbeat in Dublin or Ireland you know, everything, you know I could tell you another funny story if you want to just relate around it if you've got time um, basically you know I said earlier uh, Ollie Dowling used to have these fan, the fanzine uh, DF Dublin Funk Collective he would have had a couple of like stable of you know DJs like Latin Wolf and a couple of other heads around but they did a little uh, like a report where one of them would go to like a club like obviously site and they'd listen to a DJ playing and like mark it out like you know mm. 10 or all this stuff give their opinion on it but uh, I was a member I went a friend of mine got me a gig in there Liam Dollard you know it was warm slot you know to, to play but I was playing would have been playing hard, breakbeat hardcore but well known sort of stuff I wouldn't have been the full on drum and bass so, but I played and then I, I didn't claim to mix at the time but I was reviewed that by a uh, Latin Wolf, you know okay. uh, Barry Mullen. I know Barry well now, but uh, at the time, so uh, and I got one out of ten, the worst uh, w- one of the whole year. You know, do <laughs> right like that type of thing. And it was like, and was that based on technical skill or music? Selection? Oh yeah, both. Because yeah, you know, it wasn't that type of crowd. Like I mean, people knew I was on early enough and all this type of mm-hmm. thing. You know, but uh, I didn't even want to do it. It's just my friends like, come on, I know somebody, blah blah. I get in, so. Uh, yeah, when I read it, I was like, oh, you know, you know mm-hmm. I found out, you know, I knew where, what, what I was and where I was, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to be it, but uh, I just always laughed at it now, it was like when I became like the best mixer in the country and fucking raised the standards, like, to, you know, you know. So what was, what was the next step then after the Cyclone Zone? Asylum, really, um, the Asylum, yeah. Uh, this was, was the Asylum on O'Connell Street or just off O'Connell Street? Yeah, just off O'Con- Suffolk Street, it's called, okay. uh, you're down the side of Clary's, yeah, mm-hmm. on the, uh, the Abbey Street side, if you like, down there, where all the taxis park there, you know, mm. just, um, but yeah, uh, that, I sort of, I knew a guy and I hadn't seen it for a while, blah, blah, but um, the asylum opened originally, I believe, I remember hearing about it, but it was called something else and uh, somebody else was, had, was running it and it was a disaster area, like, you know, two men and a dog, if they're lucky, mm. you know, and uh, I think this friend of mine, Paul, was down there one night um, and you got chatting to the guys, and I think they were looking to sell, if you like, you sell like, the lease or whatever. And he reckoned because you know he had been around the dancing, and he could make it happen. Yeah, make it happen basically. So he went in and don't know. I hadn't seen Paul in ages, but basically I met his partner a couple of weeks later, uh, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, we're doing this, blah, blah. Come down, come down." And so I went down one night, and it was horrific. It was like uh, I don't know, I won't name names, but they were playing like breakbeat hardcore in this confined space, and like it was just. The music was too loud, it was too fast, and it was, there was like 20 people in the place. It was like, you know... It wasn't suited to the vibe. Uh, it was not suited to the vibe at all. Like, now I, I knew most of the songs they were playing, mm. you know what I mean? Like, but, uh, um, Time and place, They were just basically. chopping them across loud. It was almost like they thought they were, you know, at a DMC mixing champions, mm. this type of thing. But, uh, so I was talking to him down there anyway, and uh, at this time I'd started buying... You know, I was in Abbey Dish and I might hear a song, a trance or a house song. I didn't, wouldn't even give them labels and said, that's a nice break, you know, here in the background. I might just buy it to listen to myself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not as any claim to fame or anything like that, but Breakbeat was still my thing. But uh, he came back one night and I played him for the tune. He's going, could you make a set out of them and come down and play in the club, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm not, it's not my field of expertise. Now, I could mix breakbeat back and it's like shit hot, you know. I listen back to now, man, and, and like Groove Rider or Fabio and all like that. Like, I've, I've heard people like who've been on the scene in London all saying like, they're mixing out this world, you know. And the, mm. the first breakbeat one to, uh, tapes that I made, breakbeat pressure one to six and all mm. that. But uh, like, I'm not, I have listened back to some of them now, and I just feel, I can't believe how good I was back then, all that soon, you know. And how long had you been DJing at this stage? Like, how long, say, from your first gig to now joining the asylum? Uh, two years, something like that, okay. maybe two, two and a half years, something like How that. How often had the, the Cyclones on gigs been running in the Mansion House? Uh, they were quite close together, maybe once every two months type okay. of thing, and one at New Year's Eve or whatever. Special and occasions. Yeah, yeah, they, they were events, like, you know, mm. the, think the Olympic and sides and all, they were sort of weekly clubs, but this was like, you know, the point depot of the dance, yeah. you know, because it's a lovely venue and the whole you know. Before we get into the asylum going proper, you touched on the tapes there. My earliest memory of hearing your name, I would have been about 13 or 14. And I remember, like, for some reason, Carl Cox was always the name and still is to an extent to be at the pinnacle of DJing. But it was Carl Cox and DJ Pressure Tapes. And I used to hang around with a friend and his older sister was kind of involved in that scene a little bit. Maybe she was about, you know, we were 13, she was like 16, 17. Which is, uh, which is 20 years older when you're yeah, that age. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and her and her boyfriend were into it. And I remember there being like two tapes on, on the rounds and I had copies of both. And one of them was Carl Cox Live in Belfast and then the other was a DJ pressure tape. Now, I couldn't tell you what pressure tape it was because it was just a blank that had been copied, you know? Okay. You know that's illegal as well, so you'd be here for It's forever been lost. Have your confession. Forever been lost to the sound of time, that tape. But... To it, my was mind, it house or was a breakbeat? I haven't a clue. Okay, right, I was okay. 13, 14, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know. But, yes. um, like, a lot of my friends as well from, like, DJ circles that I would have come up with always credit pressure tapes for being their first introduction to proper dance music. Yeah, yeah, and yeah that's true. Yeah. your tapes have kind of, like... To me, I don't know of anybody else who was releasing tapes around then. Was it a common thing, and how did not that... For, not, for Irish, uh, not for Irish DJs, um... Do you want a quick story how it yeah, started? Of course, yeah, but, of course. Uh, well, basically, I used to go into Music Power, you know, and it used to be in that Hapney Arcade, mm-hmm. you know, the Hapney Bridge Arcade there. Um, breakbeat stuff, they used to come in on a Wednesday. Fred used to go over on a Monday and come put, pick up a load of tunes, put in a box to drive back to Hollyhead, and we'd be waiting outside at nine o'clock <laughs> on a Wednesday morning because you'd get two copies of the street, you know. But, mm. but anyway, um, and I remember I used to buy the odd cassette yeah mm-hmm. like Groove Rider live here or Mickey Finn or you know this yep. type of thing from Fantasia and all these big raves around mm. England though. but uh, I remember like because so we'd be listening out for tunes that we liked to say I must try and, try and get that one you know mm-hmm. so if you heard the record you go well, that's on that thing we get that you know what I mean because we were still learning you know what I mean mm. they didn't know what we liked we, we were told about, yeah. you know the big names that we liked but uh, I remember listening to some of them sometimes saying like if there's 20 songs on that cassette I have about 16 of them on vinyl, the other type of way, and I was learning how to mix and stuff like that. And I was starting, like, listening to them sometimes, you go, like, I can mix it, my, those same tunes better than, like, what I'm hearing. And I wasn't mm-hmm. saying I was like, this, that, and the other, you know, my humility would never uh, allow me to do that. But uh, uh, so one day I was in Music Power and I just said to Fred, I said, you know, if I made a cassette, a breakbeat, I had one made, I said, and I gave it to you, would you try if I gave you three would you stick them up maybe I might sell them or something like that and if I get you sell one you can give me one tune it's swap like everything mm. he said yeah bring so I brought him in three of breakbeat pressure one that's where the pressure came from because I was DJ Rob but I just I, all these you had these series of in England series of dream, dreamscape one two three four five six. Yeah. so I just wanted a name so I came up with breakbeat pressure right yeah that sounds pretty cool like mm. you know it does actually <laughs> but um, so I just had this 
My girlfriend at the time, Sharon, just made up this. Uh, this was primitive uh, computer days, you know. She yeah. had a real, like you know, uh, just almost like typing on it, just a white break pressure on it. But uh, I gave him three anyway, and that was on a Wednesday or something. And I came in the next day and you know, straight and I just looked up on the racks to see what there. And there was only one of them left. I said, "Where's two? I sold two of them." I was like. And I was telling the story to a friend recently, but uh, it was just like the proudest moment of yeah. my life. It was just there, I can't believe it. it was like, you know, you know, even though I never sold, nothing happened after that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was so proud of that moment, you know what I mean? Like, and I said, geez, maybe I'm not as shit as I think I am, you know, and then I realised how fucking good I was. That was the problem, you know? And but, were, there, were there other DJs in Ireland doing this at the same no, time? No, 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 not at all. So nobody knew who they were, you know? Like, yeah. You know, and uh, I was just, Thinking of a way of getting some of the use out of the tune, you know, like, but it wasn't to, to spread a name because it wasn't even, it was just Breaky Pressure 1, 2. But even like residents and other clubs of like sides and things like that. Yeah, Lane Dollars or whatever that type but of thing. Uh, selling tapes too? No, 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 not okay. to my knowledge. No, not to my knowledge. Uh, so, uh, no, it's just all the usual, you know, names from England mm-hmm. and that type of thing. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I am. Um, so, that was kind of then he said, bring us in another five. And I brought me five more. And when I went in, like, the day after that, like there was one left. I was like, you know, this is a stampede at this stage, you know. So he said, bring me in ten, you know. And, uh, so like, I brought in ten like that, and I sold like eight of them like in one day or something like that. So, so I made up a new one, break pressure two, and we just bring in and they're getting more and more. They're selling, selling all this, and it, it came at the same time then as the asylum when I started playing house slash trance, you mm-hmm. know, um, like uh, in the asylum, uh, and then so I made a tape pressure. House pressure one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to throw in, which give them a lash as well, like that, and that was the birth of it. Then you know, and then like obviously like it was an overnight success in, in after two weeks in the asylum, you know, it was like mm. I went from nobody to being like you know, suppose the most professional DJ in the country, you know, both mixing wise, music wise, and uh, uh, fan base wise, you know, and that's where it changed my name from Rob to Pressure. Uh, after when I started headlining, in many ways, it's kind of like it was a real grassroots thing, and you're almost like the way DJs now use Facebook and likes and you know fan pages and stuff. Like you were out there self promoting. But it, no, it wasn't self promoting myself. It was just like you know, like it was just the music initially. You know what I mean? It was just I don't know. It was like seeking approval, but my name wasn't even on the first breakbeat ones and that you know. Mm. And the house pressure thing came from like. Uh, like, I couldn't imagine where it was going. Like, when you go from that, like, to, like, a month later, you're selling 500 cassettes a fucking week, you know what I mean? Like, and was it at that number? Uh, after three weeks in the asylum like that, I, had, I would sell three or 400 cassettes in the asylum at the end of the night. I'd have queues, like, a 400 people queue every night when the lights went on at 8 o'clock in the morning, like that, you know, autographs. I was selling cassettes of, with just one song on it, you know. So, do you know that song, Beautiful Morning? I tend yeah. to be the last song. It would have been quite shit now, but it was quite quite different going back then. But uh, um, just to put that out, I'll give you a fiver, you just record that one song onto a cassette for me, mm. you know, things like that, you know. And then when the first person asks you for an autograph, then you're there going, hang on a minute. You know, <laughs> it's getting you know, a bit mad. I'm just Rob, you know what mm. I mean? Like, I'm glad you joined. Like, I was still, still very shy at the time and all this, and it was almost. Uh, so I remember even Dilly was saying to me at the time, you know, like, fucking take that of the dance scene over here, you know what I mean? Like, Dilly was, of course, superstar. a DJ from Northern Ireland who used to MC. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he was a resident there before me, and he was a big influence and a big inspiration on me from the changeover from the breakbeats to the, the brilliant tunes that he, yeah, he had contacts with the North or head of the game musically, yeah? Record shops, you know, early Frankfurt, IQ records, things like that. But, um... Like, so he would introduce me to tune. He'd come down one week and I'd be like, oh, I'd get, what are you playing? He'd play something like Jamis Bill and follow me and I'd just be there in the DJ box going like, mm. it's the best fucking tune I've ever heard in my life, man. you got to give me that record, sell it to me. And he would always give it to me, you know. Okay. And, uh, but like, 
it just the whole world opened up and all of a sudden I just didn't care about my breakbeat records. It was like this is what the way I want to hear music, like you know, it wasn't just all about the beats, it was like the music, the break. I'm a very stringy type of guy because mm. I don't dance, you know, I like I know what I like and I know like I tend to have an exquisite taste in music and it's spotting a tune, a tune like through a desert storm, you know, that type mm. of way or like uh, I know what I like and it tends to uh, a lot of people tend to agree with what the tunes down there that I've picked and uh, obviously everybody wouldn't agree with that but uh, yeah so um, that's where I came and then there was an incident one night but I just initially when I was asked to play by my friend Paul the manager I said okay after I was really nervous and I bottled it the first night I didn't I just didn't turn up and he was knocking oh. at my door and I was in, and I was sitting in the dark hiding and, I, and he came to me later and he said you're not doing that again this week and I, so he dragged me in and he would, I said I'll do the first two hours when there's nobody there, mm. so there's no pressure on me, excuse the pun, but um, you know, and like blah blah. So I went in, I played, and I was happy. And there's a few people asking, said, Who's your man? He's pretty good. He's good. That's Rob, you know. Mm. And uh, but about three weeks later, so I was happy with that. Warren went on after me, Warren Kay, and then Dilly was on last because Dilly had won the uh, the DMC Northern Ireland DMC uh, area competition, you know, with his uh, but Dilly also used to MC as well, is that right? Yeah, yeah, but that's it. Like, I mean, I, I've never picked up a mic in my life, uh, you yeah. know, like in the club, I wouldn't. So, I mean. I hate listening to my own voice. It nearly as bad. I hate looking at myself in the mirror. But uh, you know, um, but it was just like you tended back then to like you know, if they thought maybe the, the, you know the punters were a bit flat, you know, but they mm. weren't. You look at clubs today and like it's not flat. It just leave the natural energy. But be like, make some noise this time or something like that mm. on the mic, and they would go yeah, you know that, and it'd be like you know. It's up again. It's almost like a visual thing. Looking at them, they could be deep into a song, you know. What I'm mm. But it's just like it has to be hands in the air all the time. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, it has to be for approval, you know. And you yeah. can see some DJs now, like even, the, no names of that, like, but like, and they're looking at a crowd and it could be, it looks flat, but like, they're real, it, they have a problem with communicating with the crowd, even looking at them and just, you know, accepting that it's not flat, you know, you know, that's not going wrong, you know what I'm saying? Mm, it's just a locked so, in transcendental Yeah, exactly, you know, it's just like, let the energy take control of your body. I think that's the name of the song, you know, like, let the music take control, but uh it's just like I've learned that as well. I would have been like that in the beginning, like I mean, more than a minute or two minutes without a breakdown and some sort of uplift or something. Like that's why I always ask, like you know, Dilly, you know, go on, say something away, you know, <laughs> get the attention off me, you know, that way. Like you know. at this stage, you're now selling like like you said, a couple of hundred tapes a week. You're playing at the asylum, which is probably at the forefront of dance music. Oh, Dublin. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What did your family make of all this? Um, that's a good thing. Like. Uh, uh, I don't think they realised how big it was happening. What was happening? Mm-hmm. You know the way it would have been like you know. So you couldn't make money out of the music because my mum. I would have been an embarrassment to my mum when I was like a goth and stuff because would have been quite a traditional area I come from. You know, mm-hmm. working class area where it's like if you weren't standing on the street corner, you know, with the arse hanging out of your jeans outside the bookies. You know what I mean? Like you looked anyway different. You know what I mean? Like you didn't basically you didn't engage with them. You had the world was bigger than outside mm-hmm. of the area you lived. It was like. Oh, like he's weird, or you know, yeah. type of thing, or um, your haircut. You know, you might have a funky got haircut or something. You know, mm-hmm. and like in Grafton Street and all these places, you, you know, like you were the belle of the ball, but like mm-hmm. you know, you were a weirdo coming from there. You know, so but uh, so I think my mum would have like you know, she didn't like tension. You know, she's quiet and reserved, mm-hmm. and like would have been like, oh, bring a chain on the family. You know, the type of way. And it's like. There's always that element, actually. You know, yeah. I actually brought her to a uh, mansion house once. Her and my dad, you know, wow. to, uh, early, you know, early on the night they showed them. You know, they yeah. like, I think they were blown away by it. You know what I mean? They, they didn't ask me because I scored them any yolks or anything like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, so yeah. Uh, so what? What do you mean? I don't know. It's like 
So how how could he be that famous? You know what I yeah, yeah. You know, and even my own humility and modesty and shyness would have held me back from believing what was happening. You know, mm. the type of, like when you get people coming to Mars, you would they sleep with their girlfriends, or do you say that they slept with DJ Pressure? You just go, what the fuck is going on? Man? That's you rock know? star level stuff. Oh, I know, yeah, but like I'm just Rob. You know the type of way. And this happened. This oh, oh happened. like <laughs> once or twice. Get, get that light detector. <laughs> oh yeah, like I mean, girls coming to pulling off the top sign DJ Pressure across the chest at the end of the cyclones on in the arm and things like that. Um. Mad, 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 mad stuff. Or going into a party somewhere, seeing a photograph on the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, in the frame and all. You know, yeah. in a stranger's house and things. You know, but um, but it's only because of that. I would never have believed that I had any particular talent or you know, mm. like it's exceptional. Like that. Once again, my modesty and shyness would you know, like I'm not good enough to be like that. You know, that's for other people. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, um, but it's only through that like mass sort of you know, uh. Adulation, yeah, and like waves of love and that. Like you know, people just seem I, I connected with with the crowd because I had a, the standards of my fear of failure and the whole thing. You know, like came out of my mixing as being like you know really really tight. You know, I wasn't going to say check me out and really tight mix. It was like you know, well you might like the tune that I play, but everybody's subjective about what song they like. But once my mixing is not a disgrace, you know, well then they can't stand it. I'd be thinking of other DJs, you know, like wankers basically. A lot of them, you know what I mean? Like you know just. You know, wait, sitting there waiting to judge you, you know, that's how mm. I, cause I remember one night in the side, the only time ever in the side, I lost the mix, one mix, you know, and it was, I knew it was a hard mix that I was attempting to do, but like, I'd limited choices of tunes back then in six, eight hour sets at the end of the night, you know, that's a, lo- a long shift, and like trying to rearrange them every week with four new records in there, you know, to, mm. so people say, you did that mix last week, you know, that yeah, type of way, yeah, yeah. so like, you spend the whole week just trying to rearrange them, and like back then, tunes were harder to mix, because they were more, you know, individual songs, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, electronic battle weapons, or you know, yeah. just, you know, like cannon fodder for a war on the dance floor, you know, mm. um, disposable, if you like, mixing tunes, but anyway, uh, so, uh, just one night, I remember the tunes, and all the two that I lost, but one was the low pressing, and one was quite loud pressing, and you know, when they had them in the mix, I flicked over the headphones, so I reversed the mix, you know, mm-hmm. that's the way, mixing one in, one out, and I, li- I was listening to the ear, I couldn't hear the other one, oh, no, and no. by the time I switched back again, she was gone, okay. and I tried to pull it back, I knew where it was gone, but there was no hope, you know, and I just, I just chopped it out and let it go, but a friend of mine got a phone call the next day, said, did you hear, Rob lost the mix, that's how you saw him, and like, uh, the gas thing is, like, he's a little prick, I don't say his name, like, still, you know, I always was a little prick, but, uh, Jealous little fucker, but he uh, never once rang and said, you know, Rob's in here selling, you know, a thousand uh, tapes, you know, mm. women throwing themselves at him, and like, he just played an eight hour set, and the place was fucking, you know, on fire in here. They know? just focused on it's that. Just the way the woman said that, the typical, you know, sad little bitter person, you know, the but they were the type of people who would get to me. Do you know that yeah. thing where I'd almost be like, you know, it's the fear of failure, the fear of giving someone a reason to put you down, you know, so anyway, I. Uh, that was what drove me, but as it turned out, so that on top of them with like you know, as you say the waves of you know the love and the crowd and that type of thing just drove the shyness out of me over the years, you know, and the, like where where I was once shy, like and now I'm extremely confident, but never cocky, you know. But I enjoy it a lot more now, you know, because I interact with the crowd and I don't feel like people are judging me, you know. I've proven myself, you know. Mm-hmm. So. The Asylum is kind of one of those infamous Irish clubs that's always kind of spoken of in great lore. Um, how long did the actual thing run for in that kind of period? Well, when I started, I would have been there about, I suppose, a year and a half, two years, something like that. And then I left. It was starting to get a bit messy. So I, I'd start I'd start getting gigs in a 
played with uh, the grid in the Ormond Multimedia Centre just opened played with the Atlantic Ocean for different promoters yeah okay like in, uh, and you would have been doing stuff in Waterford as well like in, Met- in the Metro that, land that, yeah that came sort of just uh, all okay. sort of came at the same time Cyclone Zone came back then we ran a, a Cyclone Zone in the Ormond Multimedia Centre and it was like probably the most famous gig like ever like sold out in, in like two days or something like that with regards to the asylum though was it like do you think it deserved the infamous tag it had because one thing that always struck me was that they didn't serve alcohol in it it was like a juice bar and that's how yeah, yeah. as you said earlier yeah, well nobody drank alcohol back then you know what I mean like, it was all drug yeah, yeah well basically yeah you know what I mean but like I mean you never seen fights you, you know like mm-hmm. in regards to like you'd see now you know look yeah. at today you know what I mean it's, uh, you know it's dangerous out there in the streets but uh, mm-hmm. it was a great unity between all sorts of you know uh, like you know levels of people and class of people you know it's just like you know into that race of the atmosphere the energy you know it's yeah. part of this like it was just a new euphoric level of enjoying music whether it was drug aided or you know but there was the music was exciting back then and it was different and it was I suppose it was more of a you know like a rebellion going on type you know and you mentioned as well like earlier about the guard of van being outside with their yeah. camera fixed on the club on the front make, door yeah yeah and i make an rt headline news and like was this the kind of thing we spoke about your mum uh, just a minute ago? Like, would this have reached them? Would they have been kind of like, what are you involved in here? Or did they ever kind oh, no, of no, question no, it? No, 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 not like, I mean, no, like, I've never been in trouble in my life. What age were you at this stage? Uh, I suppose about um, uh, 20, 21, something like that, you know. Okay. Um, but uh, I, was ne- I, was in, I was never like, you know, a tug or anything into that type of thing. Mm. Like, I would have been in the background, you know. I'd been a coward, maybe, <laughs> you know, fear of getting caught, you know. So I was just about the music. That's all it was with me. So, like, there was none of that on me. It's none of my business what people want to do or take when they come onto a dance floor. You know, they, once they listen to music and, like, enjoy it or don't enjoy it, as the case may be, all I can do is just do my best and bring the music to me. You know, so, but that, that was my uh, level. But my mum wouldn't have said that. She wouldn't be been, like, uh, I didn't live with them for a okay, yeah. start anyway, but uh, it was like, you know, like, I would have been just getting, like, a, you know, 150, 200 quid a week, you know, for the thing on a Saturday, like, and... Uh, and were you holding down a day job at the same time? I know. When I came back from London, as I referred to earlier, when I first discovered the dance music, I, I was working uh, in an engineer's office and uh, uh, building services uh, course in Bolton Street and the whole lot of this. But uh, it was a good job, lovely people and all this type of thing. But I just came back and I just... I just get, I had a few quid saved up, you know, like, you know, because I didn't drink or smoke at the time, mm. you know. Um, and I, I just gave it up. <laughs> just gave it up uh, not to pursue a career and it's just a, like I just that's what I'm saying it was life altering that that night in the story in London mm-hmm. you know it's just it wasn't just it was like some sort of awakening in me you know I mean it just drew me to this I don't know what it was it was like it was like I'm not ready to like you know settle down into life and get ready you know what I mean for, uh, not ready to be that square yeah you're being on Peter Pan you know I just <laughs> I don't want to grow up you know what I mean I, just want to, you know, I don't want responsibility you know, yeah. and I just this is what that wasn't the reason that was going that way it was just like you know and, um, so my mum and dad it wouldn't be the type of say you know like oh really proud of you hear everyone talking about like everyone saying is your son like yeah. famous DJ like, and like where you'd be chuffed thinking like you know she must be really proud of you know mm-hmm. I'm making her proud rather than embarrassed when it was a goth or something like that I think when she got really impressed was when the first time I played in the Point Depot okay. in 94 at a Dance Nation you know because I live in the area and stuff like that mm. you know and that's that a like, is thing. a big deal you know so like I mean, ended up playing there seven or eight times you know what I mean it was like, Every second week at some stage. Just in keeping with the yeah. asylum, you would have been very much in the eye of the hurricane there. Do you think it deserved the kind I of... I was the asylum, Darren. A lot of people <laughs> said just came to play there. It's like, not, it's like the GPO in 1916, you know, the amount of people who put their name that they played in the asylum, you know. The asylum was shit. And then me, Dilly and Warren came... 
Paul, the manager, heavy, sort of brought us all together and said to the rest, he wanted to do something. And like, it literally changed from being like maybe 150 people for the first time in the whole evening. Like, you know, the first time I played there, to like, you know, three, four weeks later, they were turning away a thousand people. So it was the golden era of the asylum, basically. Yeah, when I, when I arrived. Yeah. But do you think, though, like, like, I remember hearing stories of like gangland involvement. Yeah, yeah yes, it would have been. Yes, yes. It was been. it as wild as it's made out to be when people talk about it now? Well, I never seen it because I just was in the DJ box. I was just a music man. Like, people didn't even know what I looked like in a lot, mm. of, a lot of times. Police, I'd walk up to the back stairs to have a cigarette or something, like that, and like, people think I was a police undercover police and all. Like, mm. look over there, he's undercover police. All you know, but uh, though, like, wherever there's money being made or potential money being made, gangland will be drawn to it. Mm. Look, factory, uh, the factory, and you know, in in uh, Manchester and all, you know, factory, you know, the yeah, venue, the hacienda, the hacienda. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Factory uh, records, fa- yeah, I know, yeah, 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 I know, I know, you know. Was, yeah, yeah, I do now, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> sack that researcher, there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you you know, um, and that's what brought down. Even though that was like, you know, anywhere where just people can get in here and make cheap book, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. type of thing, and then what follows money is violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with the drugs or decks of cards or snuff or whatever down the years or rum there'll always be people there trying to cash in so it's nothing new like really you know like mm. there's drugs in every town and village in this country and every pub in this country and every office in this country and like I mean there's no dance music being played Yeah, you know what I'm saying to you? Like, it's just because it's something it's, to that's do that's the way it's developed yeah you know what I mean? would there have been many drug deaths in the asylum or in around linked none None whatsoever. None, none whatsoever. The first uh, death, and we're talking like minute, minute, uh, like percentages here. Like I mean, the research recently of like something like eighty billion people over twenty years have taken ecstasy. Like they've had like you know point zero 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 one percent or something. Like that. And these are people who had pre pre uh, uh, conditions like you know mm-hmm. maybe a weak heart. They didn't know. You know what I mean? Like it could have been playing a hurling match and they could. So what happened yeah. with the asylum if it was such a golden era that you ended up coming to leave it? Uh, well, basically, it was starting to get... Um, uh, I, I don't know if it was getting tired. It was just like... It's like getting a bit more nasty of a feel in the place, you know? It's just... Um, I can't actually... I can never remember the, the actual... Uh, basically, I just said, I'm not coming in next week to do it and uh, play. And uh, I made my mind... And it wasn't because I was pursuing... Great, I can't remember what the reason was... Uh, and because uh, I started getting a few gigs in the Ormond, mm. you know, that they were like a bigger fan. I was coming overground, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, I was coming like out from the store, if you like, uh, and up into like, you know, where uh, maybe a, a more uh, a bigger, you know, the whole dance scene was starting to, you know, as I said, like from being nowhere to all of a sudden, I think I may even remember hearing like 38 songs or something one week in the UK charts were dance songs mm-hmm. out the top 40. Yeah, okay. You know, after being before that, like two years before that, you know, there was no such thing as a dance song getting into the chart. So there's more opportunities, and it yeah. was like cleaner, cleaner reputation, like because yeah. you get so tagged, associated wrongly with, with mm-hmm. you know, the rougher end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was nothing to do with me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, I'm quite respectable and I'm educated <laughs> and I speak well, and I wouldn't do anybody any harm, you know, type of, but uh, since I love the music, you know, and putting it out there, you know. So, so was, talk to me about the Ormonds then. Yeah, well, that was basically the next step. Um, so the asylum closed. Um, uh, there was legal stuff. I think is that that's why the asylum closed down because they, they there were a few directors of the asylum, like investors, if you like, you know, percent, and uh, they were they didn't even work there and like that. They basically invested at the beginning when Paul took it over the lease and they probably gave a few quid. They owed hand twenty percent, and also it went into like making thousands. You mm-hmm. know, they, they didn't. These were people who were never even in the place. You know, but uh, they were all charged with 
allowing a venue to be run where drugs would be taken. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were all convicted. There was eight of them. They got six months each. It was shocking. Like, what evidence? You know what I mean? mm-hmm. How can you do that? You know what I mean? That's like me, you know, someone in Tesco, someone taking a line of coke and walking into Tesco and then saying, you know, you're, you're facilitating, you know. You, yeah. can't, you don't know what people put in their bodies where they get into the place. You know, it's ridiculous, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, uh, it was just like, make up anything you know you look back and you think, what a waste of time and effort and money and all this by the police force and you know the law uh, to appease their overlords in the catholic church you know like at the same time recovery over <laughs> all that evil stuff they were doing so um yeah uh so that was all starting to happen and like i sort of wanted to get away from all that you know it was, uh, uh, and then what happened was the nicolai thing you know the tune yeah, yeah um ready to flow um Obviously, I broke that in the asylum and nobody could get it and everybody wanted it and I had a few copies. And, uh, but Mark haven't apparently seen one of them uh, hanging up in that outlaw record you know, for offers and your man told him the story about me and he probably heard a lot on the grapevine about me and he, he contacted me and said, would you be interested in doing a few gigs, you know, like for MCD. He was like, you know, okay. the dance wing of MCD because the Red Records mm-hmm. had bought it over. And uh, so this was like a new opportunity for me, you know, the way like, you know, to clean my name if you yeah. like, you know, the... Uh, so um yeah, like I remember playing with uh, Dean Thatcher, me and Dean Thatcher, and Mark having it in uh, the Tivoli. That was the first gig I did with Mark, you know, like Dean Thatcher. Like, you do know, the connection there, but uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, I felt I could, you know, like go legit, kind of. Yeah, almost. yeah, if you like, yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, the Ormond, I got a gig in around the time the Sound Crowd did a famous gig there, one of the first gigs in the Ormond. And I did uh, the grid, you know, Swamp Thing. Remember that was a sort of yeah, hit the banjo thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Cheesy as hell, you know. Mm-hmm. Good, great drive up the, the banjo bit. It was like, you know. Yeah. Not, not good, yeah, not good. Uh, Hillbilly Joe. What's that song? Uh, Cotton Eye Joe. Joe, yeah. That, there, there was a, you know, a wave, a, a, a wave of as you know, of things. That means tree, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, I, so I was asked to play with them. And that's what I think the song got into charts and all. I was like, I'm playing with an act. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. In the, I played with Carl Cox in the asylum. Look at him now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The prodigy were in the asylum. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, have you ever found yourself in any strange situations with people who've blown up since, like the prodigy Carl Cox? Yeah, and I know Carl very well. Like yeah, mm. you know, from down the years played with him a lot. You know, uh, from the pro- from this uh, asylum to um, Metroland, the cyclones yeah, on. Me- yeah, and then uh, I played with him all over the country. Basically, we played him at the Point Depot and then the the waterfront and the Ormond and uh, but basically. Mark, who would have a lot of contact, me and Mark were good friends, and it's like a DJ tag team almost mm-hmm. at the just after the asylum, the war from days. But Mark would have been like had a lot more contacts and sort of in the wider world. And so when anytime Cox came to town, type of thing, yeah, uh, you know, Mark, me, me, you Look know, after him, yeah. and yeah, you know, like I'd uh, yeah, I just became like I just used to sit beside him when he was on the desk, just chatting to him the whole time with a point ever the SFX or anything like that. And, Saying what's that tune, Carl? Like every time he always used to give me a tune, just say, "Yeah, no problem." You know, just like I just kept him smoking, put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he did the whole time. But uh, yeah, he was a smashing guy. Like really delighted for him for his success. You know, yeah, he, uh, he did the right thing. I think um, sort of pulling away from breakbeat because he was a, a breakbeat. Yeah. You know, he sort of got into that basement record, sort of half electro, ha- electro, half so we say, uh, four to the floor beat. Mixed with a breakbeat, sort of slightly techie sort mm-hmm. of breakbeat, Jack Smooth people like this, you know, basement records. Or, but that he was into that type of thing, and then he had the whole he uh, he had a a bad night one night with a you know the 
Did you know the story about DJ Rap? He was playing a gig in London and DJ Rap, it was like a big rave in London, but uh, DJ Rap was on and she, who she was great, she was a brilliant DJ, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, but, uh, she was playing and uh, she played that song, you know, that, um, Mr. Kirk, your son is dead. Do you have a son named Robert? Yeah, uh, he, he's dead. He died of an overdose. Mm-hmm. Over, you know, some mad Belgium, Gabalay, I can't remember, something town, like city town or something like that. I personally I think it's shit, I mean, <laughs> but it's a classic. I think, actually, I think, um, yeah, man, what's his name? The Horrorist. Is that, you know, had the song here. He might be something to do with it. Not my, I'm not into that scary type of thing. No, I like to be uplifted, you know, like happy daddy. <laughs> but uh, so she, she played that tune, right? And uh, but Cox, she didn't know that somebody had actually overdosed and died in the, the venue earlier that night. And Cox heard that and he said, I have to get away from this thing. It was getting a bit too intense for him. Maybe they wanted a different sound. And that's when you start moving towards, you know, like. Uh, Maybe a more healthy sound initially, is sort of slightly trancy, sort of positive. So away, away from the break, it was sort of stuff we would have been playing. And then, but before, so yeah, and then uh, he um, he moved away from, it and then that's around that time where he would have started being playing, you know, Frankfurt beats and you know, uh, you know, stuff like uh, no respect and all quality German stuff, you know, really top class stuff, you know, the golden era of that type of sound, even mm-hmm. in the asylum IQ records and all. So uh, musically, I, you know, I'd have a lot in common with Carl back then. And uh, so, like, there wouldn't be a gig where he'd be playing where, like, I mean, I'd be talking to him one night and I wouldn't walk out with three of the records that he played that mm-hmm. night, you know what I mean? Like, an mm-hmm. absolute gem, because he'd have another copy at home, no problem, yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. So you're at the, this period now where you're gigging in the Ormond and then obviously doing huge gigs, like in the Point Depot and stuff like yeah. that. Um, that kind of would have been around, say, like when Trance would have entered the charts and you would have had yes, things yes. like DJ Quicksilver and, you know, just things like that kind of that. that legi- five and, exactly, yeah, that yeah. legitimised it more with the kind of with the public. Yeah. Um, did, could you feel that in the clubs, that like the commercial? Yeah, yeah the crowds were getting bigger and it was more like you became more of a star and a celebrity, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. with the people like, you know, because I was ahead of the game, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. I had a cool name and associate. He's the, you know, people could associate things. And you had it, you had kind of like a following build up from the tapes and everything. Yeah, that, exactly. It was all just a perfect storm. And then I brought my first single in 96, was it? Something like that, the Pride, going into the Irish chart. Nikolai going to the top 10 in the Irish, you know, it's so all like, this was like, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, People look up and go, he's he's famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you start to believe it. But you that, were like that, the people that you were playing in support of. Now you had records in shops. And yeah, people yeah. Think. How did the first track Pride come about? Okay, um, well, basically I was hanging around Mark at the time. They had SoundCloud and all this type of uh, thing going on with Timmy, uh, Mister Spring, uh, Tim Hannigan, my good friend now. But uh, basically, um, you know, at the time I, I was, I would have been known as a music man, like a proper DJ. You know, some people are like producers who end up in the I was a DJ you know DJ DJ but anyway Mark said you should come out to the studio someday and break you know see how it's made so I went out you know was, and like I was just I was watching Timmy you know as he was making chatting to him and all this stuff so I would have been on an equal par with them do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I couldn't I wasn't looking up to them you know like I had my opinions and like I was as famous as they were so I, I looked at it as like I mean they, they should listen to me and respect what I say as much as I would respect what they've achieved you know so um I just got chatting with Timmy and uh, I think Mark was reading the paper or something like that. And we, uh, I think Timmy, you know, sensed and got excited with the passion I had for, like, you know, change that bit. Did you do that? It wasn't in my tune. Like, there were SoundCloud tunes that were being remixed. I mean, you were uh, almost kind of like a, an executive producer, yeah, almost. Yeah, free, you know, like, I was just there for, you know, like, enjoying it, you know, the type of way. And I just was fascinated by Timmy. Like, I had no, no ambitions to, like, you know, he had been years at these computers and, you know, like, wires and, you know, mm-hmm. all this type of thing. And I was just, like, a DJ playing records. That's what was my thing, you know. But uh, 
Anyway, I was just fascinated. He, he, he amazing watching him, you know, changing sounds and playing things on the keyboard and samples and, and like you'd hear things and all of a sudden you're saying like I'm actually here producing a record with you. Someone and as much input as he has, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like, and uh, I think I maybe energized and you know like got Timmy, you know, you know, excited, you know, that type yeah. of way because I think maybe he t- tended to be on his own, make a lot of sound credits up, probably more of a. You know, looking after the, you know, like publicity, marketing, mm-hmm. you know, this uh, selling. The the, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, the back office, if you like. Type mm-hmm. of but uh, so uh, so maybe Timmy, like, wouldn't have had as much dance floor experience and dealing with crowds and no much works yeah. and what doesn't work, everything. Like, so it would have been a bit aloof, almost, if you like, yeah. from standoff, because he'd be quite shy and type of thing as well. Like, and uh, um, so... It was just a good combination, I found. Like that, you know, the SoundCloud easy does that. I don't know whether you know. That would have been the first track that they were remixing. Timmy was remixing it. And I was out there that day. And like I had as much input as anybody had. Like mm-hmm. I didn't get credited on it when mm-hmm. it was released. That type of thing. But the mix I did with Timmy like, was the best one, without a doubt. You know what okay. I mean? Like, so tell me about Pride. Pride. Well, basically, so that happened first. And then I went out. Uh, I was there. I used to be out there twice, three times a week you know, on my own with Timmy. And uh, I just loved it. It was great. You know? mm-hmm. But uh, one day we made a tune. In my name, if you like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, dead. He's like, you know, but uh, so he said, take it home and have a listen to it. I was just so excited, but I had to listen to it and I thought it was the best thing ever, you know. And, uh-huh. But uh, we went back out to two days later and uh, he said, do you want to try and make something else now? And so we made it and that we made Pride, basically. And the B side Strength, you know, which I actually think is a better song. But okay. anyway, yeah. Um, so, uh, and then next week I was in town and Abby Disson, Billy Murray pulled me and said, I heard you have to make the tune out in the studio with Timmy. I said, yeah, yeah. He says, would you be interested in letting me put it out? I'm starting a new record label, Abby Dance. Oh, if, if I like it, you know, can I, you know, license off it and to put out on label? I went, yeah, no problem. Like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with it anyway, you yeah. know. What I mean? But uh, so, yeah, he liked it. And then um, he put it out in 500 white labels or something like that, you know, so it was... And just with the name wrote on a Tiktara mm. and Billy were late with a pen writing the name. Because I remember they kept the box and came into Abbey Discs. A proud moment again, mm. you know. Well, something like that. And like two days later, they were gone. Wow. And Billy was like... Press up more. <laughs> yeah, and next thing you're at a meeting in uh, so- Sony's head offices on the keys, you know, about like, you know, marketing and all this type of thing. Like, so within three weeks, we were in the top ten, you know, like a video made. and it was, oh, So it, Abbey uh, Dance was like a subsidiary of Sony in Ireland? No, or? yeah, no. The, to take it to a new level, oh, okay. you know, the, the distribution end of things. You with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So it was like, we're brought into these suits, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you're just like, yeah, man, we're down with the kids and all this type <laughs> of thing, you know, but they weren't, you yeah, know, they, they are, uh, but um, record executives, as you call them, but things like that, you know, to me, it was all just, you know, just got being carried along, you know, on a wave, you know, mm-hmm. of, uh, I, didn't, I just went with it, you know, if you want to do it, go for it. But uh, yeah, so anyway, we ended up um, between the marketing or the distribution deal and then uh, just like everything coming together at the same time, it went into the Irish top 10. Uh, first Irish dance record to ever go into the, the top 10 in Ireland, Amazing. by the way. Nikolai had gone top 10, but I wasn't Irish. Mm-hmm. Timmy remixed it, but it was the original that people wanted. Mm-hmm. You know that to, to, to get, but because uh, Mark had licensed it after. Uh-huh. You know, after the blown up on the foreign print. level. Yeah, exactly. Which was the common thing to do. You had so many UK labels in later years, like in the 90s and noughties, that oh, licensed it. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, Nucleus yeah. and all these yeah, yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. Oh, double F, double R. It, that's it, going back even earlier than that, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, So, yeah, uh, that's where it all this Jules and all these people got jobs as A&R men for, mm-hmm. because they were the sound so or the, the, yeah, the, the tracks they seen what was working on the floors and they tipped off you know the suits of course, you know? of course so, and then the, the compilation that's albums came out and then that's where the money was in the compilation albums mm-hmm. you know so we're now say up to the late 90s and perhaps kind of once once the noughties turned dance music kind of 
it's not that it wasn't cool anymore, but it wasn't as commercial it wasn't as it fresh. was. It wasn't fresh. And a lot of division. A lot of division, both socially, um, musically, um, snobbery. Snobbery is that, you know, it's just like, you know, people say, I'm not going to go into a club that they play music like that because I'm posher than that. Yeah, uh, even course. their heads, like, even though they, they could be here. You know, so you had to split into like prog house heads, you know, thought they were. Mm. Cooler, and it was more laid back, you know, like background music almost like you know, it's all more about the clothes. I turned out earlier, much as you and all these la- and labels. And, well, these Joe jeans are 100 quid at all because that label is clothes label is uh, you know, hot in some magazine for like a week, you know. The type of way. Did you yeah, know you were part of that as well, yourself, <laughs> as well, you know, you know, you were at the forefront of the fashion uh, revolution. <laughs> Did you notice a downturn in the amount of gigs you were doing at this stage around no, the country? I, I was always busy because I started, I was all over the country, yeah, at residencies everywhere. Too many fucking gigs, to be honest with you, like it was the driving, but anyway, um, wasn't that it was, I think, alcohol started becoming more prominent in the clubs, people like who were like at the forefront in the early 90s and the whole lot of everything, start getting married, having kids, mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'm too old for this, you know, uh, you know, the good old days, it was all, you know, yeah. like I only had this conversation with someone yesterday, they were saying, oh, the good, I mean, new uh, Facebook artist page, you know, but about discussing you, saying, oh, the good old days, I remember this, I posted one of my mixes from the asylum, and I said, I wish it was like that now, you know, and I, was, I said, like, still, you know, every day is a good day for me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, you make it what it is, you know, like, the music is much better now, you know what I mean? It's all, What's missing is, like, the, the uh, honeymoon period, you know, the the revolution that was happening then, there's so much other things, like, taken from people's time now, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's so disposable now, music as well, it's stuff like but that. But here you are and, still paying 160 euros. Yeah, I know, but, that, but that, that's, you see, that's an addiction that I was born with. It was a joy uh-huh. that, that I, I had no control over whatsoever, it just takes over. But no, like, I just love it, it's, I don't know, just, I am very competitive, I always want to be and have the best of everything. This was something I want to ask you about, one of the things that's kind of quite infamous with you is that you were going to Abbey Discs, and if Billy pulled a track out and you said, that's deadly. How many copies have you got? And if he said six copies, you'd buy all six. Is that true? Uh, yes, there is a hit of truth. I wouldn't ask him. I'd just buy them. <laughs> Basically, you see, I, I would never get cash off Billy. I was selling like 500 cassettes a week. I had four of my friends working around the clock, you know, copying, copying cassettes, you know, on high speed. You know, yeah. And everything. But, uh, um, so, uh, the deal was sell a tape, get chill, get a credit. Yeah. Okay. Sweet, sweet, no problem. So, um, like Billy was could be owing me two thousand shillings. So if I went in and said, "I'll take that compilation CD. I'll take ten of them. I'll take it." You know, be getting presents stuff for everybody and all mm-hmm. that. Just he'd be delighted to get. Like I'd walk out. You'd need like you know a van waiting outside to take out some of the. So he was making so much money off your tapes. Out the tapes and like it wasn't. He didn't have to hand over cash. You know, he's yeah, getting so. the money up front. So um. And it's not like you had to tell. I just walk out about me just with three hundred twelve inches. Wow. on a Friday evening yeah. everything was kept for me you know that's how yeah. it, like I mean I was you know the man like, if you had a bag in Abbey Discs back in the day you were somebody because they kept stuff for you but whereas with you it was almost like you were I was in the back room around the back it wasn't, <laughs> you had a room was, as opposed yeah, to a yeah, bag yeah no 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 I always went through all those bags with people's names I, know. And, you know, people's <laughs> I actually told somebody uh, yeah. recently a story about how you got me a copy of a vinyl I remember you ringing me one day from Abbey Discs and saying have you heard this new tune on um, Subliminal and uh, it was it was Robbie Rivera's Funkatron. Now this is oh yeah 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 yeah. With the John Power, it's an absolute blower. This is. Yeah, yeah. I have a copy for you. I robbed it out of Connor G's bag. Yeah, 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 and I told yeah, Connor yeah, that yeah. story only last week, and he yeah. laughed about it. We were just saying yeah, about yeah. like you know about your obsession and things like. Cause, I can't comment like, on it still uh, for the court. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, because my first experience of you would have been like obviously I would have been going to Camolan and that was kind of like my yeah, space, club and yeah. dawn and things yeah. like that club space. But I remember like my first sit down one on one with you was when I had won that Creamfields competition. 
remember it well. Backstage, and we were all in kind of the RTE dressing room thing. And I remember you asking me, what are you going to play today? What have you played? And I remember pulling these tracks out. And I can remember the look on your face and you saying to me, where are you getting these records? Yeah, because yeah, there was yeah, stuff yeah. on Bonsai that yeah. you didn't know we, about. We the airwave talked, yeah, and you talked to talk as well, Darren, as well. Like, I mean, it was like the tunes you were talking about that I played that you liked, you know, over yeah. the years of tapes or whatever. Like that were the ones I, that I knew were the really special ones. You know, other people who asked and yeah, so yeah. you'd be there going, yeah, it's just good. I play, you know, to keep the sweep. These are the gems that yeah. you that's so you can't really respect their opinion on music as uh-huh. much as to go with the, the sort of lower level stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's what. Yes, yeah, I know you're going to say uh, airwave and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah the monster tunes back then, and monster tunes today. And like, I remember you said to me, "Can you get me copies of that?" And I was like, "Yeah,", yeah. and you were like, "Where are you getting these?" I was like, "I'm getting them on the internet." And this yeah, was the thing that not a lot of people. Are yeah, see, this on is it. You know, I mean, stuff from the internet. I'm extremely lazy as well, <laughs> and, and that's how I was kind of stuff. feeding my collection, and that's how like I ended up DJing myself because I had tunes nobody else had. Yeah. Yeah. And like you just mentioned, John Paramilga, who was on, like who had the. Pay I heard your, your. We sat in Timmy's house going through the, the mixes entries. like that, and yours were like a hundred times better than everybody else. Like John, John and all, like were there going, oh, that was grand troll. I picked that one. It was a bit yeah. very uh, laser fair uh, yeah. way to put that. Uh, I have to say, I, I, I no, I'm not just saying. It. Yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, it stood out a mile. But there was tunes there like that I had gotten from Italy and that I had gotten from all over that yeah, weren't yeah. available in shops yeah, at the time. I didn't even have. And that was like even like I had you, to have them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. earlier in your career. You kind of like it's having the stuff that nobody else has. Yeah, oh yeah, that maybe you know? yeah, big time. Nowadays right. you can just anybody can download shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't ever actually own a tune unless you own it on vinyl, in my mm. opinion. You okay. Know? But this was, this was the thing, you know, this was how we kind of be, became friends. And, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And it was through a mutual love. You had something I wanted and I had something you wanted. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, a, and, a yeah. leg up and vice versa. Exactly. Know? And like, I'd You keep me at the top and I'll keep the ladder down if you like. You I know? always yeah. tell people that, like, you looked after me a lot in the early days. Like, you got me a lot of gigs, introduced me to a lot of influential and important people. You know, like, I, I wouldn't I have still played. Still do. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have played in the Temple Theatre in Dublin a number yeah. of times had it not been for you. And you gave me up some of your set time. You know, I can remember, I know the, the Temple reunion is tonight, Jay Pigeon's home. I'm actually going to be, uh, Make a, a go. There. And I remember Jay walking into the Temple Theatre one time, into the main room. Jay, of course, now managing all manner of stars. This was a Valentine's night, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was yeah. a Valentine's Day massacre thing or something. I remember yeah. walking in and you said, here, do you want to play for half an hour at the start? And I was like, yeah, okay. And I remember Jay Pigeon walking and looking at me going, what are you doing playing here? And I was like, yeah. I don't know, talk to Rob. And you, yeah, were just, yeah. and you were standing behind me and it was, I was like, this is amazing. And like, and then Panama Jackson, New Year's Eve, then yeah, Patrick Barrett. Yeah, Sister yeah, Bliss yeah, and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, like, so yeah, I owe you a lot. Like, And I always tell people, and I'd always credit you with that. But like I have a very completist nature as in like do I collect trainers of over 100 pairs of trainers and yeah. if I see something so it might, might be something that <laughs> I might necessarily need but I want it and I want to have yeah. to have it you want to be the and, best of that and I've been like that all my life like yeah. I've been like that with baseball caps yeah. I never wore yeah. baseball caps but I had a huge collection for some reason because I love the Chicago Bulls I was like that with vinyl for a long time and then of course like buying vinyl kind of fell off for me a little bit but not with you ever because obviously you're still doing it and still paying yeah. massive money but my completest nature kind of tends to be about a variety of things in my life or whatever I'm into and like, I'm still into the music I, yeah, it's into not the I'm social going. side a bit of, of, of the, if you don't of the dance mm. scene whereas like I mean for I mean, you it's I, a way of life yeah for me it's just like I've no choice if I, if I never got another gig in the morning type of thing, I'm still here like you know melting indulging in my music <laughs> and thinking about this and hearing things that I have to have that even though I never like you know mm. DJ'd out again I never judged my success but the gigs or money I made it was always just about you know pushing myself musically to get better and better and better and better and like last time I don't know say seven ten years like I mean like I've realised and accepted that I do have a talent for it mm-hmm. before it was just like I could just mix records well and it, but now it's like you know I know I have a special talent for music it's just like I don't need anybody with me when I'm in my studio so I'm happy on my own just thinking what have I done that with that and obviously new technology CDJs and stuff allows me to you know like 
experiment with things mm-hmm. like and you know Dan, the results are like mind-blowing something you, know? you mentioned to me early in this chat is that you said like it, the best mix is the one you don't hear yeah. and i remember a friend of mine once said that to me about you he said the thing about pressure was he was the first of those irish djs that mixed the way kind of sasha was regarded as in it was like the songs there was no link between them it was just yeah, all yeah. one thing yeah. and i always it remember wasn't that uh, make Walt's job down yeah sides, you know what i mean it was just like with the I, piano tunes slaughtered you know, all together it was like you know <laughs> I don't know. Just Something saying. you said to me, I remember one time you said that, like, you might get the best tune of the current time. Like, you might get that and go, oh, that's my, that's my record yeah, of the year. Yeah, I yeah. love that. And you could have two gigs coming up that week, but you might not play that track for a couple of months because you don't have a mix for Perfected it. Perfected for it. That was yeah, the thing yeah, I yeah, always yeah. stuck with me with you. Yeah. It wasn't that like, like, whereas I'd get a record and go, oh, jeez, I have a gig this yeah, week. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait to drop this. It could be the best record in the world, but you wouldn't play it until you had a perfect Mixed and I had a row with you over this. I remember our first ever row, you know, yeah. our first lovers' tip. Uh, uh, was over uh, playing at the Temple Theatre. I was trying to explain, to, don't just pick the big tune, yeah. just banging tune the early on. Because we're playing like, Speedy J, uh, yeah, Speedy down J, to J I'm trying to get and I'll never forget it. You know, crank, turned crank. It, it turned into an international incident. You know, but you can't handle like, it. I was saying, you know, like, you should let plays. I can't. He's going, man. I said, no, we're trying to help. You know, yeah. what I mean? like, and I remember you were like, he doesn't want your fucking help. What are you playing? He was like, what are you playing? What's that tune? I need that tune, and that was the thing. I remember because you didn't know what it was, but you were, you were kind of not so much mad at me, but you were like, "Oh, look, it's too early. Don't be banging." Speedy J. Oh, absolutely. But it was a, it was a, it was a, it was But it was a milestone. I saw when I heard I was there going this is the next level where I want to go you know musically you know? I would take credit for introducing you to a lot of techno Absol- music absolutely you and Bacardo like I would have found like no <laughs> seriously like I went to, I hadn't I would have been more trancy at the time because quality stuff like I was playing yeah. mixing, but I would have been a bit more afraid to go a bit harder you know the mm-hmm. way it was, that was the inferiority complex to me at yeah. the time but I remember just Pat O'Keefe saying come down to the temple one night and Bacardo was deadly and I came down there the mixing was shit like, mm-hmm. type of thing, like but the tunes it was just that moment when the light bulb went. He's playing that's a hard bit. I love it. Crowd are going mad for it. Mm-hmm. And like I mean, I would have been afraid to play a song that had that bit in it, you know, before. But now imagine that all those tunes mixed with my with my expertise on them like that. You know, this is where I want to go, and that's where it started for me. On that, and where I felt more musically free and accomplished, and you know, like mm-hmm. and. Uh, so yeah, oh, absolutely, Darren. Yeah, the Speedy J thing, definitely. You know, you think the Frank Piazzi, Torblance, and things mm-hmm. like animal chills. You know, like yeah, you know, you know proper big room kind of techno. Yeah, but like you know, so cool. Yeah, you know, it's something that you know. That you either have it or you don't. Yeah, the gra- it, yeah, the but taste. you know, your granny's not gonna be singing along to it. You know, like you know, like yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. So, like, let's just look at say modern day and the way dance music has gone now. Um, kind of like EDM blew up in the late noughties, we'll say, and still alive. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is, but, yeah. but a lot of kind of tech houses replaced it in a way, like a lot of people shuffling and stuff like this, and like a lot of DJs that would have been quite underground, like the the, the hot creations lads and you know, middle of crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah they've yeah. kind of come to the forefront and are almost just like you know, they're they're popular now and they're almost uncool because they're so popular it's the old thing isn't it though like I mean some, you know that if it's popular it can't be cool you know and like what was once you know not popular it was cool and underground a bit of success and it's like Fadeless are a good example I always think mm-hmm. they're a brilliant band they make wonderful music you know and they have loads of great tunes over the years but like the minute Insomnia went to number one in the UK if you said someone after that oh, I love that new Fadeless tune after they go oh don't play that's just too commercial you know that type mm-hmm. of it's just like but like the tunes people are missing out on, like, you know, God is a DJ. I'll just say it's fate as an example, We Come One, things like that. These are brilliant tunes and like you all know can't play that. Just because they're in the, the charts. Chart. The cure, the love cats. They were so underground before that, you know, they're so cool and I wanted to be Robert Smith and you know, yeah. type of thing and God heaven, you know, and then 
they, they come out with the love cats and they went into the charts in the UK and it was like, ah! <laughs> you know, I was like, what's going on? The world's gone mad, you know. How um, how do you feel though when you see kind of like the the kind of music now that's popular in terms of just say like going back to the Swedish house mafia area right. when they were so big around like say when so they were good. When they were you talking because they were brilliant when they first came out, like I mean mm-hmm. Eric Pride's I mean they know oh, of course. Yeah, like like And even still under Pride, Pride of guys Sarah's <coughs> like, D. Still fantastic music. Yeah, and uh, uh Stephen Gallo, people like that. Like that was like you just buy the stuff blind. That yeah. pride that like, you know yourself, like mm-hmm. I mean every time I hear someone playing Deadly Tune I'd ask someone what's you know, pride. It was a pride, a pride, a label thing. Like I'm that. talking more of the chart crossovers with the likes of One. Don't you worry, child, and stuff like that. When they, this is when they came after that. Yeah, they were brilliant, but they went shit. You know that type when of way. When it turned into that stadium, no, kind they of. turned into EDM. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just it became like you know, it just came with money. You know, the, type mm-hmm. of, there was no, the stuff was really incredible before. Like if they had got that success with the early pride type of stuff, Stephen yeah. Gallo and all. Fair well, that's play. kind of pretty much why Steve left the cellar because he wanted to be more underground, and you know the other two didn't. Axel yeah. and Grosso went on yeah. and became a duo themselves. Yeah. And they're obviously reuniting for a tour next year yeah, again, yeah, yeah. make a few quid and that. Yeah, as if they need it, like you know. Yeah. What I mean? like, you know? But like, how did you feel about that movement? Were you kind of still glad that dance music was kind of to the fore commercially, or were you kind of no, no? I tell you, where I I started to get more confident, and I started to say to myself like, you know, I was, I was coming with a new girlfriend, we were listening to different music, and you know, like we were enjoying this more. Like, you know, like exploring my, my, you know, like innermost thoughts of like, mm. you know, downtown or so, uncle stuff, you know, DJ yeah. Shadow, you know, that type of more uh, downtown or breaks. Trip hop uh, kind tri- of there. Trip hop, but maybe a bit more at the pumpier end of trip hop, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, but, um, but not to play in clubs. And it became, that became a joy was listening to this type of music with my girlfriend. It was like, Gigs going out playing stuff that you know we were probably pissed off listening to, you know, like they became a nuisance rather than something to look forward to, you know. And they got in the way of enjoying the other music, playing, getting a set ready with music that you know inside out. And uh, beside you, it was like the 100 best records you've ever heard in your life, the coolest record that you've ever heard in your life. Just there, sitting there, going, oh, I listen to them, you know. So uh, basically, that's when I started saying, I'd rather not do these gigs, I'd rather be staying here, you know, I don't, I don't need. You know, I don't need the money. I don't need the, you know, the exposure. I don't need like to feed an ego or anything like that. Like, this stuff is getting in the way of my enjoying music, and it's, that's what it's all about: enjoying the music. And eventually, I started, you know, like saying no to gigs. You know, before before, I, it's almost like you accept everything. It was almost like a sign of success. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm playing mm-hmm. tours. You started, you but know, you weren't playing music that you wanted. But, uh, yeah, to play. now you said it. You know, I was playing music just to, you know, it was almost like. To prove to other people that, you know, like... Yeah, I, know, I, I experienced that myself. Because yeah, a lot know, of the gigs I was getting were more kind of like of a trancy kind of hard housey vein, whereas I wasn't into that music. Shame on you for the hard house. And <laughs> it was kind of, yeah, well, look, the buckets were there and I wanted to be busy. Yeah, you know, no, yourself. I never took the, 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 the devil's coin to but the hard house. It was just one of those things. Well, like, I never, no, I never played the music. I never played hard house, but I meant like in support of hard house DJs. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. supporting yeah, lashes yeah, yeah. and supporting the tidy boys and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it was a hard bag maybe yeah, as opposed to hard house. Exactly, yeah, the harder end of stuff that I was into. I never played hard house ever. I probably the only DJ Wexford that never did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were friends at this stage. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, we both hated. But what I'm saying is, it was the it was the the spectrum that the gigs. It was the vein that the gigs I was taking were in, and it kind of killed my love of gigging because you, I wasn't you, getting. You're running to stay stand still as a woman. You weren't getting a chance yeah. to. Go on, you know, near later on after. It was just like, you know, that's where your love was. And it was big. just kind of the harder end of what you thought yeah. would suit of your collection. But like, yeah. it's like, I've, as you said, I have 100 records at home there that are way better than any of these. I just can't yeah. play them because it doesn't suit yeah, that yeah, gig, yeah. you know? Because the promoter come over and say, Oi, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I won't book him again. Yeah, uh, yeah sorry, I won't book him again, you know? You could be playing a brilliant tune, you know? I had an experience down in, uh, I think the Wise Guys in Tullamore, is that the name of the place? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's fairly. Um, 
fairly popular place, you know, but uh, I got booked to play there and uh, like the cabinet and stuff and the hard house heads were played in there. And I went down and I had some great new music that I wanted to play, like, and I started off with, you know, with a housey, but I was pumping, driving, mm-hmm. it was real. I was, that was the type of stuff I wanted to play. I remember it was only on 15 minutes and like the, the owner came out, he's a bogger, like, you know, mm-hmm. we know nothing about fucking music, you know. But I was like, no, that's not what we had here last week, you know, this is everything, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, he said, don't fucking tell me what to play, you know. He said, do you know DJ Zoe does this type of thing? You know, this was the type of level people are at, you know. And it's just like, what am I doing, man? You know, these people are imbeciles, you know what I mean? Like, and I, really, I can see why you, like, it just does kill yeah. your and passion eventually, And it was the best thing ever, the first time I decided, I said, I don't care if I never DJ out again in my whole life. Mm. He said, the freedom to just say, like, you know, I'm happy to make CDs here, chill out and ambient stuff that I love, you know, and can be happy for myself and you know my friend or my girlfriend or whatever you know but um and that's how i ended up getting a job in rt you know to a family you know the, the, the monthly mix yeah yeah for 11 years now you said to me that uh yeah. you don't truly own a track until you have it on vinyl so i'm assuming you're not a fan of the availability and accessibility of the download yes and no okay just um basically uh it opens blows of, I, I, obviously i have cdjs and stuff like that and i uh you know it's amazing like you know the it opens up music to what whereas a tune that you maybe wouldn't have bought before because it was seven quid and you mightn't be that fond of it but there's a good bit in it you could start just getting it for nothing mm-hmm. and manipulating that bit you know yourself and just sort of making something out of it and using it in one of the, the ambient things i was making chill mm-hmm. out and it, it just opened up that like so it made all that stuff more accessible um but i went too far so that's probably the best thing to say whereas it's like you know it's just, that's a tune but my whole life I've been running from people trying to find out what's in my record box the names of. that's why I remember you giving me a roll of stickers to put yeah that was the only time the man behind the stickers you know, yeah. Uh, you, know just, yeah, you used to have a load of the, the yeah. stickers but in the video shops but I'll tell you the best thing I ever done because like, I mean 80% of what people hear and say old school gigs now are tunes that I dropped type of thing but my, 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 uh, rep- not, my legacy has been raped and pillaged <laughs> by people who weren't even born at the time they know nothing about the atmosphere it's because you like a monkey could go on and play Nikolai or something like that doesn't make it like how it was done yeah when it was done you know yeah. like it was 25 26 years ago people were like two years of age and they're saying oh i don't like that like, what were you doing 24 <laughs> years ago you know this was ground. even, even this back was... then if people wanted to know them if they couldn't because yeah. like i said you had stickers at the video yeah. shops covering the names and i remember yeah. you giving me a roll and this was yeah. your thing I, you know, you've got some discovery yourself. Like, I mean, why did you spend all this time, like, just happen to say, that might actually work and type of thing, and then getting it and then having the balls to go and play it out and, like, take the chance on it and uh, getting a great response. And then somebody just comes in along and just takes away all that work for nothing. Yeah. Like that, and then plays it on pirate radio stations, their mates, everybody type of thing. And people are pissed off listening to it within a couple of weeks. So you drop it in the club in two weeks' time and they're there going, oh, that old thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas the set is like, this chill check, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Along with the, you know, obviously my ability as a mixer and my uh, fear of failure and uh, my intelligence as a person, like you know, to like sort of have a vision you know, and artistic uh, create creativity. Um, I always thought like my my sort of standing alone away from the pack and saying these are my tunes and I'm putting stickers on them to stop you's copying me, you know, because you don't know what you's like mm-hmm. and to say he's getting away with that shit, you know what I mean? Just copy him and then, you know, we'll get the same level of success and fame, but it don't work like that, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you need a presence and a belief of what you're doing and everything, but, uh, so, yeah, like, often copied, never equal, that's the way I look at my, my DJ career. But yeah, if you had to put an estimate on how many tapes you've moved over the years? Good question. I have actually thought about it, I don't know, quarter of a million? Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's things like the Cyclones on, I would have sold like 50, 60,000 copies of over the years, you know? 
Well, Billy, yeah, well, you yeah, were like, gigs no, and like, no problem. You know, out of right? Abbey Discs as well, then, where yeah. you got your credits for Yeah, yeah, it was just like, wow. it was it was cash. It was like a Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, before Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, yeah, easily, easily. You know what I mean? You're knocking out 500 in Abbey Discs, maybe 200 in Music Power, and then other shops selling clothes shops at Bray and stuff like that. And then uh, at the gigs, you know, mm. I could sell three or 400 in a night just sign me. Cyclone Zone, you can, well, I'd walk in there with maybe a thousand cassettes, you know, and leave it with none. Um, you mentioned like a couple of tracks over the course of the chat there, like the yeah. likes of Nikolai and stuff. If you think you had to choose one track to define yourself as a DJ, would you look to like say Gary Newman from the early days as it's one of your favorites, or in the like more so in the clubs? Would you choose for something that you think you, not something you think you're personally known for, but something you would personally uh, choose? Because there's a lot of people. It's a question say, I've been waiting for someone to ask me in interviews. For twenty five years, no one ever does, you know. Yeah, obviously, you would have to be the one who would. Think that. Um, yeah, when people say, "Oh, it's in our top 10 they're talking about tunes in the clubs and stuff like that, you know. Like I've the best record collection in the country, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like so, like a tune that was big in the asylum or something like that. Like isn't it coming to the record over the first two thousand tracks of my top two thousand? You know, this. Um, okay, you have to pick one. Uh, it's a horrible question. Um, oh, where's it's the kind so of thing that can change from day to day. I yeah, know, but. No, well, for year to year, like when the side of me, it would have been Mirage, Airborne, and the IQ records of something magic and special. And for take three or four years, that was my favourite tune. But then, like something else had happened, and, and it doesn't not necessarily the success of the tune on the floor. It might have been the most popular tune. Just something but for you me, love. but for me, something said, you define, something okay, that defines you. Okay, Jam and Spoon, follow me. Apart from the bit after the break where it speeds up the BPMs, it had it just continued back. After the breakdown, the way they came to the breakdown, with the, it sounds so fresh even today. Instead of the stupid, you know, it speeds up the. You spend the whole breakdown inching down the pitch from <laughs> being in the green, you know, to like minus four or something because it comes back in like you know, at hundred beats a minute. It's just stupid and cheesy, but but it was a the first time I'd witnessed uh, a piece of art in music. I have to say, really, it's the breakdown, the whole build up at the beginning. It was just like this is music for you know. For eternity, you know. Last yeah. question. Uh, your DJ career is still ongoing. Like I said, you're on 2FM Monthly. You've got your Facebook fan page, which is thriving. Yes, yes, yes. Just yeah, newly launched yes, your yeah. DJ for saying you're posting, like <laughs> posting all mixes and all famous tracks yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. And, and uh, we're building through the years. There'll be new stuff coming in, uh, new tunes and stuff, and uh, remixes I've done at home here myself, uh, tunes that are modern, uh, of all tunes that you know, I've done, my own twist on them, loads of stuff coming in. I'm not going to ask, how would you like to be remembered? I'll ask that if somebody had never heard of you, how would you like yourself and your DJ career to be described to them? Um, I was the start of dance music in this country. I, I, I set the level and the bar of accepting what, like the level of quality of mixing and care and thought and presentation of presenting music as God was, as it were made. If you know what I'm saying to you, like that someone just didn't bang it in because they know the crowd will have this. You know what I mean? It was like, this is a, a mix, this is a set, a journey, you know, from beginning to end, that I set the standards, basically, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I did, I know I did, but I didn't set out to do that, it was only when, all of a sudden when I realised why it was getting so popular, you start listening back, like, I mean, like, I went to see, as you know, uh, um, uh, Chris Liebing last night in District 8, like that, and I just loved his set, it was brilliant, it was professional, it was a journey through techno, not buying a nice pace, it was like, you just stayed with it at the beginning, like that, all of a sudden, it was just class. It was quality. It was driven by somebody who was uh, was passionate, who was had a vision of what they wanted to present. It. And I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And the crowd stayed with him, and it was brilliant. You know, that is like 
that's what was my vision 25 years ago or something you know that was like you know obviously you hadn't got the technology to do what you can do now but um you know that type of you know professionalism even if you don't like pressure you know he's a professional you know that's it you know he gives a shit you know it's not about fame it's not about money it's not about it's like you know just getting satisfaction you know from like knowing you were right when you hear the tune this is what i miss most about the dance team now that i had back then was like where you could hear a tune and say Oh, I can't wait to drop this in the club on Saturday to see the people playing new music, breaking new music every week. The Waterfront Columbia Mills, that um, like, and just, you'd have a personal relationship with people in the crowd. You know, they see every week, and you'd be, they'd be dancing, going, "That's that." And they used to wait and hear the next one, and they'd hear it, and they'd be like, oh, "You know, that moment." You know, you can't put price on that. You know, that's just like, you know, I was right. I did a good job. You know what I mean? Like, you know. Um, and that's gone now. It's all like, you know, p- people having the balls who won't tell me what to fucking play. You know, I mean, there's nobody in this country who's qualified to tell me what to play musically, you know. Like, and that's, that's insulting, actually, you know what I mean? Like, so promoters didn't say that to me now. I would just say, like, shove the gig up your arse, you know what I mean? Like, you want to book me? I know it's an old school gig. I'll play old school, but I'll play what I, my vision of it. I've not been told to play piano house or vocal house. You know, it's just like, you know, I don't need it. cheeky, you know what I mean? So in short, you're someone who cared about it yeah, and stuck yeah. to their guns. And a, and a professional to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave a shit, you know what I mean? Like, but it's it all it was all in homage of my passion for music that I can't control. You know what I mean? Even if I got a job in a bank tomorrow and two kids and a mortgage and um, like it would just take me. I just couldn't do it. You know what I mean? It would just be like I'd miss it so much. You know, I just I always feel sorry for people. You know, like he's mad. He's always, all he ever does is talk about music. You know what I mean? You know, I always feel pity for him. Say you can't experience what me and other people who have passion for music experience when we hear it. You poor thing, you're missing out with so much, you know. Um, so yeah, that's I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I've achieved, and it's, uh, it ain't over yet, as the man says. You know?